You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right. Away, back, goal. Oh, hey, it's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to A's Cast Live, the Friday edition. We have an unbelievable show for you. We got great baseball coming up as the series will head from San Diego, where it was in the 90s, to now we're in Philly. Now we're on the East Coast, and I haven't even checked the weather. It says in my notes it's going to be 58 degrees, but the sun goes down. It'll be colder than that. So game three of the NLCS Uh, Obviously, a lot to talk about today with the ALCS. Get into some A's. Paul Himbikides from ESPN. He's one of our favorite guests. Uh, Himbo is a Phillies fan. You know he's got to be jacked. He's going to join us in moments. Raleigh Fingers, the Hall of Famer, will be here at 2.30. Are we able to make the big announcement? Uh, Yeah, well, it's already out now. It is? Yeah, it's already It came out at 10 a.m. this morning. I didn't know. I thought we were breaking the announcement. No, we're just we have we have spots that I wrote and that we're going to run. But the big announcement, if you want to break it, go ahead. Go. No, you tell. No, uh, on April sixteenth of next year, so twenty twenty three, we're going to honor the nineteen seventy three new um, Oakland Athletics that beat the New York Mets in the World Series. And you can. Bu- we're having a flash sale right now where you can buy tickets at ticket prices from nineteen seventy three. So the tickets are around five dollars and fifty cents. Right now on our website, it's athletics.com slash flash sale. You can see the banner running underneath here. So if you want to get to tickets, athletics.com slash flash sale today. Raleigh Fingers, you could make a case. Maybe we'll throw this on Himbo. I know he's sitting in the background. Yeah, he's waiting. Can I, can I at least yeah, get yeah. the damn guest yeah. out? <laughs> uh, is Raleigh Fingers the greatest reliever of all time? When you look at the numbers and you look at the volume, we shall ask. Eno Saris, our national baseball columnist from The Athletic, will be here at 3 o'clock. And then our A's historian and, of course, does the great work for NBC, Bay Area, for the Pac-12 Network, and an official score in Major League Baseball, the great Dave Feldman. But what a day it is. Our man Paul Himbikides, Himbo from ESPN, but more importantly, a Phillies fan. And I got to think, riding high. How are you, my friend? Never been better in my life. My, my, <laughs> my baby girls were born like seven weeks ago, okay? Since then, 
they know they know no such thing as losing. The, the Eagles haven't lost a game yet. Yeah. Right? The Phillies are are three wins away from the World Series. James Harden, it appears to me, has eaten multiple salads this summer. He looks spry. And the Flyers are winning games. Like this, my, my girls have brought good luck to the city of Philadelphia. I don't ever recall an instance in which all of my teams were this good at the same time. Man, when you're when 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 you got it rolling, you just ride the streak. And when I think about how things are going there in Philadelphia, as you mentioned, football undefeated, but you've you've been at the ballpark for these playoff games. Talk about the the energy. They, they say it's like a nightclub in between innings. Everybody's dancing in the stands. Nobody can hear each other talk because it's so loud and crazy. What is it like in a, at a Philadelphia Phillies game right now? It is incomparable. And I don't mean to subject you guys to hyperbole, but I mean this when I say this. I have had the opportunity, largely because of my job, to attend some of the best and coolest sporting events of the last 10 years. Like I w- I've been to college football national championship games. I've been to NBA finals games. I was in the building for game three of the 2016 World Series at Wrigley, the first World Series game the Cubs had hosted since 1945. And I mean this when I say this. I have never in my life heard a louder, more guttural exclamation than I did than when Reese Hoskins hit a home run in game three against the Braves and Gronk spiked his bat. At that time, I have been to dozens of punk rock concerts. Never have my ears heard anything like what I heard in that ballpark that day. I always, or often I should say, get annoyed when the broadcasters will often cite the the crowd and getting the crowd into it and the impact and all that stuff. Generally, I find that to be somewhat nauseating. I can tell you definitively that it made a difference in that game and has made a difference in Philadelphia this postseason. I mean, they're chanting DUI at Marcelo Suna. They're irreverently (laughs) doing the tomahawk chop. All right, there are... Ronald Acuna forgot how to play right field in, in game four of that series. Like, I think there have been, like, there has been an impact on winning. The Citizens Bank Park crowd has been unbelievable, and I expect it to play a factor in game three, four, and five as well. Joe Musgrove says he likes pitching on the road in the hostile environment. He likes it than better. He likes it better than pitching at home. Are you buying it? Sure. I mean, we, we saw we saw him shove against the Mets at City Field so much so that Buck Showalter felt the need to examine that man's ears uh, in between innings, which was ridiculous, steadfastly ridiculous. Well, look, Joe Musgrove is shoving right now. I don't care if he's pitching in San Diego, in Philadelphia, or in Timbuktu. Right now, he is one of the toughest outs in all of baseball when you get to two strikes against him. Over his last five games, 32 strikeouts against five hits when he gets to two strike counts. He has been money. His stuff is vicious. And he has a massive advantage over Ranger Suarez in Game 3 of this series. I'm hoping what the Phillies can do, and this is not a strategy I generally uh, think is worth employing in the playoffs, but I hope the Phillies try and chase him early. Like Generally speaking, I like in the playoffs because these bullpens are so good. Attack first pitch against the starters. Like That's probably your best shot, but not against Joe Musgrove. If they can chase him by the fifth inning, I like the Phillies in Game 3. If not, I think it's going to be a long day at the ball yard. Now, I have to think, do you have the that that's what's it from KUA morning show? in San Diego. KOSI is one of the local stations in San Diego that they played this bit. It went absolutely right. I want, did you hear this? Play it for me. All right. San Diego. Let's do this. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Philly going down to yellow and brown. That's what's in. Padres on the loose. Let's go, Goose. 
That's what's in. Bryce gonna lose and Manny's gonna cruise. That's what's in. All right, I can't, I can't. Give Philly All no right. slack and send them back. That's what's in. I mean, this is like seven or eight grown men. I immediately had a reaction because, as you know, I'm from San Diego. I texted this video to all of my 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 brother, my buddies, and I said, this is the exact reason why this town is so soft and has never won anything. And the fact that the producers of this morning show and of this station think it's cute. They think it's funny. And you're like, that's why you never win, because you're soft and you actually think that's good. Uh, I have two comments. The first of which is, I'm actually really impressed that they were able to cobble all eight Padres fans together and be able to do that. <laughs> I mean, that was that was a, a remark. I mean, I, I you have. <laughs> I mean, that's a tough putt. So congratulations on being able to aggregate all those people and get them in the same spot. Secondly, the Phillies have a much better song, and I'll sing it for you. And it goes like this: No one likes us. No one likes us. No one likes us. We don't care. We're from Philly, Mm-mm, Philly. No one likes us. We don't care. At least it's a real freaking song. I just I you can't lose you can't lose to a town that thinks that's good. You just can't <laughs> out of pride out of, out of like professional pride you can't lose. By the way, switching over to the uh ALCS, can we officially say the Yankees are done? Yes, I predicted before the series began that the Yankees would be swept. I, I see Ooh. no obvious reason to believe that they won't be. Did swept. you did, I mean there Did you say that on the shows on ESPN? I not only said that on the shows on ESPN, I wielded a, a broom. I held the broom over my right shoulder. You can go to my Twitter feed. I held a broom over my right shoulder on the shows the last couple of days because I feel so strongly that the Astros were going to overpower the Yankees. Their only hope is that Garrett Cole pitches out of his freaking mind in game three, which in fairness, he is very capable of doing. Garrett Cole has sort of quietly proven to be a big game pitcher. For some reason, he's the kind of pitcher for whom we only notice when he doesn't like, live up to expectations. But generally speaking, in the playoffs, yeah especially with the Yankees, he's been good. Like, he truly has been very good. But I don't really see a path to winning for them unless he shoves and can probably do so again later in the series. I have a remarkable number to demonstrate how much the Astros are owning the Yankees right now. Okay, there have been, in the history of Major League Baseball, actually, I went back to I went back to 1901 to pull this note. 19, we're going 1901. Where were you in 1901? <laughs> uh, my grandmother, who died five years ago, wasn't even born yet. Wow. All right, 1901. Okay. So this is how far back we got to go in order to contextualize how bad the Yankees are right now against the Houston Astros. There have been 24,620 instances in which one team has played another at least seven times in the season. 24,620. There is only, however, one instance in which one team hit below 150 in that season series. And that, my friend, is the New York Yankees against the Houston Astros this year. They are hitting 148 across nine games against Astros pitching this year. Hashtag. Wow. You know, I remember back in the day, the Eagles and the Giants had a ferocious ferocious rivalry. Obviously, we have seen Yankees, Phillies in a World Series in 09, but they hardly play each other. Uh, I couldn't even tell you Knicks and Sixers. Jesus, it's been so long since either one have been relevant. Uh, hockey, no clue. Like, what is the – because you're not far from each other. You're a train ride away. What is the rivalry 
of just two bitter cities. When you look at New York, well, New York, you got all the boroughs, but Philly, New York, only Jersey between you. What is the rivalry like? I can tell you that the team that we hate the most in Philadelphia is the Dallas Cowboys. It is truly an Eagles town. And the hatred directed at Dallas Cowboys twice a year is unbelievable. Like I can tell you for sure, there is nothing else close. I mean, there have been times in which, you know, Phillies fans have extra hated the Mets. And there have been times in which Sixers fans have extra hated the Celtics. But generally speaking, it's the Cowboys. And yeah. as it relates to the Yankees and the Astros, with all due respect to the Yankees, Hammer and Nail don't have a rivalry. They have a relationship. <laughs> and the Astros <laughs> have been the Hammer. And the Yankees have been the Nail since 2017. And I'm afraid to say to all my buddies that root for the Yankees, I think this is their last real chance at winning a championship. I truly mean that. There's a obviously there's much more than a non-zero chance that Aaron Judge does not come back. I think there's probably it's probably more likely than not that he doesn't resign there. And what else are you getting excited about on that team? Like they, they, they're not filled with young talent. They don't have a lineup that's ready to take over if he leaves. They don't have good young pitching in the organization. Their bullpen is scattershot. They're going to be a little bit challenged financially because they've made some serious long-term commitments. I see the Rays as a player development behemoth. I see the Blue Jays with a bunch of good young talent on that team. The Orioles just improved more than any club in the sport with the lowest payroll in it. And the Red Sox were in the ALCS last year. This to, The Yankees' championship window is closing, and it's closing fast. I just had to go to our A's cast live koozie here to mm-hmm. get out a pen because I needed to write down October 21st, 2022. It's been predicted. The Yankees are done. I love it. <laughs> hey, Himbo, when we were there in uh, June and getting our ass handed to us, and everybody's like, oh, the Yankees are the greatest team ever, I made a live prediction on this program. The Yankees would not be in the World Series. I predicted that. I'm going to be right. But your prediction is even bigger and bolder the Yankee dynasty, 24 playoff appearances in 28 years is about to die, and you're making that proc- uh, proclamation October 21st, 2022. I love it. Here's the deal, bro. Here's the deal. I love I picked the Yankees to miss the playoffs before the season began because what I saw was a team that had a lineup that left a lot to be desired, and it was my theory at the time, obviously incorrectly, that in the American League East, that just was not going to fly. And then we saw them play historically good baseball in the first half of the season. And we saw Aaron Judge turn into Babe Ruth for a year. Like, these are things that are not going to be duplicated. They're just not. Aaron Judge accounted for 10 wins by himself this season. And he carried that lineup in the second half when no one could hit a lick. What's left there? Like, if you're a Yankees fan, truly, what are you excited about? Are you excited about one of the Peraza's? Are you excited about Anthony Volpe, who was too good, apparently, to trade for Luis Castillo? Are you excited about the Aaron Hickses and DJ LeMahews and Josh Donaldson and other journeyman players that can catch a little bit but can't hit a lick? Are you excited about the seven years, excuse me, the five years left on Garrett Cole's contract? About Nestor Cortez and Luis Severino? Like, what are you excited about? I just want to know. I just want to know why you should feel good about heading into your future in an absolutely stacked division. The only, the only way this could be better if you were wearing a LeBron James jersey. <laughs> with, 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 with uh, which team though with which lebron james team uh i would probably go yeah would you go miami heat would you go laker mm. would you go old school Cavs? akron what would you i'd go Cavs because he's gonna go back there when he's done with the lakers so i mean we all know it's coming right like lebron's going back yes. to cleveland again I don't, with Bron- I don't know. with to... with Bronny, the rebuild the the cavaliers for the land yeah it'll be for the, the land chance to 
to steal a championship from Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell and Evan Mobley <laughs> and all the guys that actually have built that program. I can see it. Okay, very interesting. I don't know how it would go down the way you look at a Shohei Otani trade. Uh, obviously, he wasn't thrilled with this year. Resigned, obviously, for one more year, big bucks. But when you're trading Otani, you're trading an extreme amount of international money that you make as an organization. So it, it, there's just no apples to apples trading someone like this because of the amount of revenue he brings in from Japan, the amount of money you make off of him in this in, in this country. So I know you're thinking about a Shohei Otani trade. How does it go down? And when I think of all the, the stuff just beyond talking about how many players am I going to get for him? Here's how it goes down. If you're running the Angels, call a meeting with Shohei Otani and his representation, and you put a blank check on the table. The hope is that Shohei Otani will sign that piece of paper to guarantee you that he'll play for you and no one else for the rest of his career. All right, that's the objective, because I agree with you. Trading Otani is far beyond the what kind of like qu uh, quantitative value does he provide you in between the lines, obviously. I mean, he is a international phenomenon. But well, also you, you know what he'd be like? If Fox Sports came and wanted to take you, Hembo, ESPN can't let that go. That's a direct comp. I mean, obviously, I'm the unicorn over here. Yes. So I, <laughs> not only could I not pitch, I couldn't hit a lick. I'm, I'm a, a meager researcher. But however you choose to slice it, you offer him a blank check and see if he'll sign it. If he doesn't sign it, you have to trade him. Frankly, this is the time to do it. Because Shohei Otani is coming off of two unicorn-like seasons that, in all candor, he's very unlikely to ever duplicate. What Shohei Otani has just done is something that no one ever thought could be done, including Babe Ruth. You play college ball. I play college ball. Not even a college coach would let you do what, what Joe Madden and Nevin let him do. Like, that's just not a thing. Not a thing that can happen. And so if you're able to trade him after having these two historic seasons, you're going to get a Herschel Walker-type return. And if you're the Angels, at least from a baseball standpoint, that's exactly what you need. Your farm system has nothing. You've had one of the worst systems in baseball now for the better part of a decade. And your big league club has two people that matter. It's Trout and Otani. But if he's not going to re-sign there, what you darn sure can't do is let him walk for nothing or try and trade him at the deadline. That would be really messy. I thought the, the, the Juan Soto thing at the deadline this year was really messy. I understand the logic of bringing him back and getting four more, four more months of Otani. But I'd be afraid with how much he puts his body through. I want to trade him while he's healthy and while his value is at an absolute premium. Any ideas on who would be that team? Yes. I think the Mets are going to be number one in line, and I'll tell you why. One, the Mets would immediately be able to give him the contract that he would want. The Mets have no, would have no problem giving him half a bill, like legit half a bill. Yeah. And secondly, there's a pre-existing relationship there with Billy Epler, which to my understanding is pretty strong. Yeah. brought him obviously from Japan to Los Angeles. That is the number one destination for Otani. Look, there's no team in baseball that would not at least make the phone call. But if you're asking me to handicap the thing, I would say the Mets are number one. Not only would the Angels theoretically feel comfortable trading him to, uh, to the National League, but there's obviously a relationship there with Billy Epler that would make the communication so much easier. And frankly, after the embarrassing uh, end of that season, it's the kind of thing that Steve Cohen needs. Like Steve Cohen, we know, thinks like a fan, tweets like a fan, but he has billions of dollars. Like he's willing to foot that bill. That to me is absolutely the number one destination for Shohei Otani, whether it be via trade right now or in free agency a year from now. Aaron Judge, you mentioned, you know, 
we got people out here who think, oh, he for sure is going to the Giants. What do you think? Let's say, and let's hope to God. Well, I want you to be right on that sweep, but I don't want a team to sit and wait for the NLCS. So have the NLCS be over quick. Have this be a sweep so we have a good World Series because we know when teams sit and wait, it just ends up going bad, right? And I want to have a good World Series. But whatever. Let's say Yankees go down, they lose. Aaron Judge is a free agent. You buy that he could come out west and that he could leave New York? Yeah? Absolutely. Dude, if, if Aaron Judge was committed to the Yankees, Aaron Judge would have committed to the Yankees. Like, this is not rocket surgery, okay? Aaron Judge was offered a massive contract before the season began, a contract that everyone I talked to around the industry believed was market value. It wasn't embarrassing. Now, it turned out to be embarrassing that the Yankees leaked that number, and Aaron Judge went on to hit 62 home runs. Like, it was definitely a stroke of bad luck there. I think that if Aaron Judge is anything like me, I would have been pissed off all year that the Yankees tried to embarrass me, and in turn, I did the opposite. Aaron Judge has demonstrated through his words and his actions that he is in no way interested in giving the Yankees a hometown discount. So that has been established. So then the question is, will the Yankees outpay everyone else? Will the Yankees pay more money for Aaron Judge than anyone else would? My answer to that question is no, and I'll tell you why. Because the way that the Yankees operate is, even though they spend a lot of money, Larry Cashman doesn't get enough credit, if you will, for being shrewd. Like, they don't do crazy stuff the way that the old boss did, the way that George Steinbrenner did. Yeah. And if their numbers said a year ago, that's seven for 213 and a half, was what he would be worth over the next seven years, Aaron Judge hitting 62 home runs in a contract year is not going to fundamentally change that math. And if that's how they're doing the analysis and not looking at the big picture in terms of how we can market the guy and how we can impact the game and how we have the face of the league and all that stuff, if they're not looking at it that way, then Aaron Judge is going to walk and he's going to sign with the Giants or another team that has a greedy owner who wants to pray him away from New York City. The reason I think the Giants are the leader in the clubhouse is because they have enormous financial flexibility and because he obviously has ties there. They can run the same play that they ran with Barry Bonds, and that obviously worked out extraordinarily well. I think the Yankees are still the leader in the clubhouse, but they're no longer the odds-on favorite. I think the San Francisco Giants are the team that he is likeliest to go to should he leave the Yankees. And now all of a sudden we're going to have a uh, another fancy free agent market for all these shortstops. And there's a team that just got knocked out in Los Angeles that desperately needs a shortstop. Free agent market's going to be interesting. It's going to be hot. It's going to be really, really hot because there's going to be – I mean, there are four nine-figure sh- uh, shortstops, and there are at least half a dozen teams that could use them. Now, I don't – I understand why we loop them all together. To be clear, it's Correa, Bogarts, Trey Turner, and Dansby Swanson. I understand why we group them together. They're all shortstops. They're all free agents. But I can't for the life of me figure out why we're equating the four of them because that's not how I see it. I think Carlos Correa is far and away the best shortstop on the free agent market. That guy's a freaking Hall of Fame talent. The others are really good players. Carlos Correa could find himself in the Hall of Fame in 15 years. I truly mean that. He is, he is first of all, he's the youngest among them, which is the most important thing that you should care about when you're investing a nine-figure contract in someone. He is going to stay at shortstop the longest, I'm confident, based upon his defensive metrics and his movement abilities in the infield, that he, you can get at least three-plus years at, um, at shortstop from him and probably five at least league average years at shortstop from him. It's a premium bat when you look at all the, the stat cast stuff. The profile is delicious, and the fact that he just hit in that ballpark should, would be uh, awfully encouraging. And I really like the way his, uh, his mind works. You listen, uh, watch him on the CBS broadcast, the stuff he's saying in between games. Like, yeah. He has a really, really good approach at the plate and has a really good um, sort of analytical mindset when it comes to his swing and his approach, and that's the kind of thing that I really care about. Now, Bogarts and Turner and, and Swanson are all great players in their own right. But this is a player who, at this point in his career, has more than 30 offensive war and 10 defensive war. 
The only other shortstops that have been able to say that through this point in their careers are Ripken, Yount, and Cronin. They all wound up in the Hall of Fame. To me, this guy is that kind of good. I just wanted to check this because I know I got my fact checker to my right who, who would check me in a second. My only problem with him, you love everything about him, and I do agree with you. Uh, TV career, if he wants it, he'll make so much money he doesn't need it. But, you know, you do have to love – like these super guy, these guys have made so much money they don't need to do this anymore. As long as they have to show up for FS1 or they got to show up for TBS, they can have like this little mini TV career. I love it. My problem with Correa is, uh, you mentioned Ripken. He is no Cal Ripken. Like they, they, no Cal Ripken. Oh, for sure. Uh, I mean, Cal Ripken, is, uh, in my judgment, is the best. Well, and I don't mean stats. Years. What I mean by games played. This guy, this guy doesn't ring as we like to ring the bell in Philly, right? Don't we ring the bell? Uh, we do. He doesn't ring the bell as much as I would like for a guy his age. I agree with that. If there's one blemish in his resume, it's the fact that he gets hurt too often. You and know, he, he, he gets hurt a getting a massage, he... right? He gets hurt getting a massage. He gets. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying. Sure. Yeah, I get it. Look, there, there is no perfect player <laughs> aside from Mike Trout for a while, of course. There's no perfect player, but I will say this. Like, if I'm going to sign someone to that kind of money, there's one thing they got to know. They got to know, are you going to be great? And Carlos Correa yeah. is great. He put, he averages about eight war for every 162 games he played. Carlos Correa is great. And while I do agree with you, I, I'm, I am at least mildly worried about that body. I also know for sure that if for some reason he continues to accumulate lower body injuries, I can move him to third base. He can put on 10 or 15 pounds of lower body muscle, and he can turn into Manny Machado. And if that's the baseline of the player that I'm signing – I'll take that 100 times out of 100. How is Manny Machado not up for a gold glove? <laughs> that what? was an oversight, an egregious oversight. I was like, I was like, watch that. I'm like, what is that? Did, this guy literally is one of the better shortstops in the game right now. Yeah, he is. He's a stud. He's a star. I don't get it. To me, there's there's credible evidence out there that he could be the MVP of the league. Yes. I think Brian Hayes should win the gold glove in the National League at third base. But Manny Machado should obviously have been a finalist. That was a bizarre omission. The gold glove thing has really never been my thing. I like. I, I think there's plenty of value in saying like players that accumulate many of them, aside from Derek Jeter, were all pretty good at their positions. But it seems like for all the data that we have now, this should be pretty straightforward. Great shots fired on the New York Yankees today on this program. This might be one of my favorite shows of all time. Um, all right. No, well, I, I, need to, I need to double back on that because you opened the door. The notion that Derek Jeter shortstop steadfastly ridiculous and the fact that Derek Jeter is credited for being one of the greatest shortstops of all time is only true because he was a really good hitter and played there also but we have beyond any reasonable doubt enormous piles of data that say that Derek Jeter is the worst shortstop Derek Jeter has fewer defensive runs ever than any shortstop ever. They've been tracking that since 2003. Baseball Reference has a formula by which they can do that by running numbers uh, a variety of ways going back forever. And he's the worst ever, ever by their standard of measure. <laughs> We're not talking about a player that was like passable at shortstop. That you know, like that on a, like, and, and all the Yankee writers would always say like, yeah, but w show me a play where it cost him, and they'll show you the flip play and the play where he ran into the stands. And like, I'm not suggesting that he didn't make impactful plays on the diamond. I'm saying that Derek Jeter cost his team way more runs on defense than he created, and it doesn't overshadow the fact that he's one of the best hitters of all time. But to say that he's one of the greatest shortstops ever based on that fact is steadfastly ridiculous. It's like literally just saying something completely untrue and debunked. 
And I don't understand why people still can't get that. Are you going to the game tonight? No. I was offered tickets uh, to a few different games, but as you know, my I have two I have twin girls at home. They're yes. seven weeks old. So getting to the game last week was took 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 the Lord's work. I decided not to even try to pop that door open this time around. And honestly, it was such an unbelievable experience in game three at the ballpark last weekend that like I want that to be the, the lasting memory that I have. And if the Phillies do wind up in the World Series, then I will definitely reconsider. But that was such a magical day that I don't want to do anything that could even potentially defile it. Uh, the only reason why I say is because Oakland A great Matt Stairs is throwing out the first pitch. I hadn't seen that. Yeah, Stairs. Softball. Hit off of Jonathan Broxton is one of the most chilling swings I have ever seen on a baseball field. The way that ball climbed so deep into those bleachers out there was so so wonderful to see as a Phillies fan. Like, I'll just never forget that swing for as long as I live. When when, when do we get to when's your book come? When do we get to promote the book? Well, I texted you guys that uh, Greeny and I have, have co-authored this book entitled "Got Your Number." It is uh, a book with a hundred essays, uh, one through one hundred. We have identified which player, which athlete, which coach, which fill in the blank owns every number in sports, one through 100. We announced it a few weeks ago. It's coming out in April. It's an awful long time between the two. But either way, it'll give us a lot of chance for pre-orders, to promote the thing, to do interviews, do all sorts of cool stuff. When, when can we start doing pre-orders? Pre-orders available now on Amazon or wherever you get your books. I, I'm I, saying I, 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 if I want something for Christmas, this is what I want for Christmas. Is that what you, Oh, hold on. I'm actually in a, in, a, in a room right now. You guys can see me. Where they sent me this ridiculous poster. Hold on. Just give me one second. No this problem. This is good TV. We want to – we want to – we want to – we, we, we got to start selling some books for this man. So, like, they <laughs> gave me, like, this massive poster. Like, with – and, like, you can see my name in small script beneath his. Like, it, this thing is – this thing is three feet tall. So, I, I don't know. Uh, my wife probably won't let me hang this in the, in the nursery. Oh, Maybe come on. Find a different place in the man cave. Yes, but uh, – Yes, uh, New York Times bestselling author and ESPN personality, Mike Greenberg, with Paul Hembo Hembakita. So, like I always tell people, uh, if you want to make it in this industry, just be an average researcher, have some famous person give you a nickname, and <laughs> you'll be all set. <laughs> so I want to show you uh, from one poster to another. Wow. I love that for you. Th 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 this is what we had in the seats during the COVID when we put we couldn't have people in the stands, so they put all of our pictures in the, in the seats. <laughs> Those were the days. So, so seriously, put it out there so our fans can start buying. So you can go to my Twitter feed, at Paul Hembo, and uh, at the top of it, I uh, have posted a link, I pasted a link to the Disney Books site. I can tell you, like, no matter what you know, sport is your favorite, um, if you're a baseball fan, obviously you're listening to the show because you're a baseball fan, there are dozens of baseball essays that you are going to love, especially if you're an old-timey fan of the sport who goes back years and years and years, who loves the numbers, who loves the records, who sort of loves these debates. You're going to love it. Like, you're absolutely going to love what we came up with. Now, obviously, some of our decisions will have to be controversial. There are many great athletes that wore number 32 and 34 and 21 and 7 and any number of numbers, and that's part of the fun. But there's a lot of really, really good baseball essays that I'm really proud of in that book, that's for sure. So you're going to appreciate this. When I was a young man, uh, I got my handicap in golf. My I was down to a six, and I was I was starting to. Re I was in the I was a seventies player, playing from the back tips. Wherever I played, I could go out. I was going to be in a range. I, I was swinging it, and then my kids were born, and I just like literally stopped playing golf. And a lot of people couldn't understand it. You now 
a father of twins, where you go from zero kids to two kids, people just don't under like 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 you said you got to go to one Phillies playoff game and you're like I'm good I got like people don't understand two kids at one time two babies at one time it's always diapers and it's feeding and it's diapers people don't understand how your life just so dramatically changes golf like the the idea of me playing golf right now is insane like i have forgotten to drink water i have like <laughs> i've never in my life forgotten to eat i've forgotten on multiple occasions that i'm hungry like you can't think about golf like i would love for that to be, I, I'll, I'll love to cross that bridge i'm guessing that'll be something like 18 years from now uh, like it's to me like a vacation is if I'm allowed to go outside and mow the grass like I did yesterday. You're gonna hour mow the lawn, did some leaf work, you know, like the general Jersey stuff over here. Like that was considered a vacation to me. So the idea of playing golf is something on the back burner for sure. Well, the number one thing, and you'll love it. I, I I got a picture somewhere of one of my twin girls. She had to be like three years old. She can barely pick it up. I just smoked dinosaur beef ribs, and the rib was way bigger than her head, and she's like trying <laughs> to bite it. Yeah, my kids have been eating barbecue since they were born, Himbo. Start them early. They need to know the Traeger lifestyle from the very beginning. Yeah, no, we're going to have to get the girls one of the most portable ones that you can, like, do in the dorm room. Because that's, that's going to be – it's going to be a way of life. Like, this is, this is, this is how it's going to be. There is going – like, the first thing that they're allowed to eat – well, I mean, like, I, I'm, I'm going to be, like, the bad dad that, like, you know, gives their – like, when, when my wife's away, like, at the grocery store, we're doing something. Like, they're going to be eating, like, pork. Ribs, yes. brisket, like yeah. like when they're three, uh, they're gonna be salted out of their mind. But look, I mean, this is what I love. This is what you're gonna love too. Yeah. Darn it! Yeah, damn it! And this is how it works <laughs> in this household. Uh, congratulations on the kids. Congratulations on the book. Good luck to your Phillies, and hopefully, we're doing this soon. And we're talking World Series in Philadelphia. I love it, man. We're gonna say, hey, we're gonna sell some books for you. Trust me. You're a good man. Take care. Hey, when's the other book coming out with all the ba- the top 100 or whatever it is? That information I don't have yet. But that information I will have fairly soon. So stay tuned. Be well, my friend. Peace. The great Paul Himbikides, better known as Himbo. How about New York hater, the man who, well, he doesn't live in New York anymore because he and his wife had to start a family. So kind of like I never got it anyway. I never wanted to live it. I, I worked in San Francisco for how many years I worked there? I probably twenty something years I worked in San Francisco. Twenty four, twenty five years. Never wanted to move there, right? I, I moved to San Jose uh, to go to San Jose State, and I've lived here ever since. And I rather commute. I was never going to live in the city, but I know like buddies of mine met 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 somebody in the city. They got married, lived in the city for a couple of years, and then they moved out. There's a few people like that. But in New York, it's a whole different thing. Like Manhattan, there's, you know, the amount of people that are in New York. Now, Manhattan, there's not as many people that actually live on the island as you think. Did you know this? Uh, I've never been to New York City, so no. you never been to New York City? No, I've been to New York, but never New York City. My parents aren't big touristy people, so we went to, like, northern New York. My dad's a weirdo. You went to like Syracuse, New York? Uh, no, it was more like Rochester, I want to uh, say, went, somewhere uh, up there. Well, there's only like, there's, there's, I, I think at any given time, there's only around a million people that live. But like during the day, there'll be like 30 million people there working. But the amount of people actually live on the island, it's like a million, right? So 
What a lot of people do, like Kimbo, is once you want to get married and have a family, you, you have to move out to one of the boroughs or you move to New Jersey, which he did. But uh, for a man who works in New York and works for ESPN and does what? The podcast and does everything out of New York. The, the kid from Philly holding his guns and taking shots at the greatness that is the New York Yankees is absolutely fabulous. And the minute they lose, you're going to – you still have my prediction, right? Yeah, I still have it. And you still have the date? Um, yeah, it's saved in my files. The Astros have won five straight postseason – or they have five straight postseason wins by two runs or fewer, tied with the longest streak of the 99 Braves. The Astros have managed to win each of their five postseason games despite going four for 32 with runners in scoring position. That's a 125 average. 16 of their 20 postseason runs have come via the home run. How about the Yankees? The Yankees have struck out 30 of 70 plate appearances. I want you to think about that. You come to the plate as a New York Yankee. 70 of them have come to the plate. 30 of them have struck out. Do you know what that percentage is? 30, 70, 30 is 40. Yeah, it's it's not 50, but it's a little under like 40. 42.9% of the time they strike out. Yeah, it's not good. Did you... They don't put the ball in play. Have you heard this one? They don't even, like, have a chance. They don't even have a chance for a ground out. They don't even have a chance for an air. When you don't put the ball in play, all the freakish things that happen in baseball, especially in the postseason, can't happen. I mean, if you put the ball in play, uh, uh, an infielder can't pick it up and throw it into the stands. He can't throw it into the dugout. He can't throw it down the line. Hell, a first baseman can just flat-out drop it. You hit a little squibber, a little Texas leaguer, out between the right fielder, second base, first base, and it drops. You break your bat. I mean, there's all these different things you can do when you put the – you can hit a ground ball up the middle, and it hits second base and pops up and goes somewhere else. There's all these things that can happen if you just put the ball in play. Basically, half the time they strike out. It's and unbelievable. It, here's this one, too. I don't know if you saw this. They've been held to six hits or less in nine straight games dating back to the regular season. This is the Yankees, a team that's supposed to be built on power and guys that can hit. Six hits in nine straight games going back to the regular season. That's not good. And you're struggling versus Houston. And Houston's been – they're not hitting the ball well either. Batting, their team batting average is like 220-something in this series. But they're up 2-0 in the series. Because why? Because They pitch. They pitch. Oh, man. Framber Valdez was great yesterday. How many innings did he go? Seven. Oh, you, you said you didn't like starting pitchers that went deep. You know how many times that's happened already this postseason? Where I have A lot. Time? That is the 11th time this postseason a starter has gone seven or more innings. There were four of those last postseason. This is the most – the last time a, a guy went uh, 11 or more times seven innings was back in 2019. That's happened 17 times. That's why – and I want to keep – Keep seeing this happen because then that allows us to go to spring training and say, "Hey, uh, look at all the teams in the in the postseason actually had their team their guys going at least six or more." As the Oakland A's are the for the first time ever in our history did not throw a complete game. Like you, you got you 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 have to get innings from your starting pitchers. You have to. 
There's 4,300 and something outs in a season. Was it 4,394? I was going to guess. Well, obviously, that's not counting extra inning games, which are going to be back without the Ghost Runner. Are we really going to do that? Well, there's there's a lot of things we need. We need to figure out how the rules rules change for next year work for the postseason. 4,374 outs. 4,374 outs. How are you going to get those? Are you going to get almost half 2,187 from bullpens? It's just not it's not possible. Look at look how much better a team is. Look how more confident they are. Cuz this is not what the Dodgers are. The Dodgers are basically always seem like they're in panic mode with their starters and then they had to turn over their bullpen and then you got half the game you got to go through a bunch of guys. I don't know how their numbers. I don't I I would love to see I would love for someone to present the data that says this works. And I called I called uh I called Cody yesterday uh cuz our our guy CJ Nikowski was on loud outs on Sirius XM and I thought you know they start going through batting average against a pitcher the third time through the order. And I said, hey, wait a minute. You guys all said batting average doesn't matter. Right? Aren't all these teams, haven't everybody come out and said, our own Darren Bush two seasons ago said, "Uh, we really don't look at batting average. Well, if batting average doesn't matter, then why do we keep getting it thrown down our throat about batting average for a starting pitcher third time through an order? Why does batting average not matter for hitters, but now it matters for pitchers, which I said to Cody, if you every we're in a game of math. Everything is about numbers and math. So if a pitcher a third time through the order gives up one hit, doesn't mean he gives up a run, gives up one hit. Now remember, there's nine guys in the order, correct? Correct. Third time through the order is nine outs. So if I'm going through that nine outs and give up just two hits, and even though I didn't give up a run, it could still say that they're hitting 300 off me. It's a game of math, right? Yeah. So think about that. You're going through the order a third time. That means nine outs. I could give up one or two hits which would, and since I only play once every five days, I don't have huge numbers, which now means one or two hits dramatically shoot up the batting average. They don't tell. Ron Darling's been all over this in this playoffs, by the way, especially with Kyle. Well, Bob, in this inning, uh, they hit three. Okay, but what does that mean? What what Does that really mean it? Is that telling us the story? No. Like, here's an example. Luis Severino, who pitched for the Yankees last night, he got pulled early for Amber Valdez on seven. Third time through the batting, or third plate appearance through the batting, or in his career, he's allowing a 242 batting average. So why didn't he get to go longer in the game? I know he's coming off injury and all this stuff, but why not leave him in? What are the runs he's given up? Uh, he gave up in his career after facing a team, the th- third plate appearance in, he's given up 71 runs. He gave up more runs the second time through and gave up more runs the first time through. This is what they don't tell you. 
Statistics lie and liars use statistics. You've heard that before, correct? Yeah, you tell me that all the time. They lie to us. They manipulate numbers to make themselves sound right, these front offices. They'll be like, oh, can't do it. Can't have the guy. Look at the batting average. Luis Severino gives up less runs third time through the order than second time through the order. I just say, I'm having a hard time understanding this infatuation with what the batting average is for pitchers for when they go through which which time through the uh, lineup. Here, here's one. But do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. You're going to tell me all the time that batting average doesn't matter, that batting average, home runs, RBIs, those are old and they're archaic. So you're discrediting batting averages for actually hitters, and now you're penalizing pitchers because of this batting average. So you use batting average when you want, when you don't want. Basically, you're talking out both sides of your mouth. And now all we need to do is go, really, does it matter what the batting average is? Doesn't, isn't the only thing that matters for a pitcher is if he gives up runs or not? Yeah, last time I checked, that's the only thing that matters. Whether you strike guys out, don't strike guys out, pitch to weak contact, hard contact, walks, whatever it is. Did somebody touch home plate? Whatever the method is to your madness, did people touch home plate off of you? And that's what they're not telling us. They're just going, this guy's got to go out because uh, they, uh, he, he, they hit 313 off him third time through the order. So if he gives up a hit or two in those nine outs third time, that's going to shoot up the batting average big, but it doesn't mean that a run came across. So here, here's an example. I looked at Framber Valdez, who won seven innings last night. Two un- unearned runs, although the, it was his error the, the, for the runs to score. Uh, third time through the order in 2022, Framber Valdez was awesome this year. He might finish in the top three in uh, AL Cy Young behind Verlander and probably Dylan Cease. Uh, third time through the order, his batting average allowed was 282. Well, how come Dusty left him in seven innings? Because he's a bad manager. Yeah. So, du- I mean, Dusty, who's – He's old school. Ha- he doesn't – He's one of the – he has, I think, fourth or fifth most all-time wins in the postseason – why didn't you pull your starter? If it's because he's going to he, – that's the highest batting average he's allowed anywhere through first, second, third, or even a four-time through uh, plate appearances where he's actually four-time through plate appearances. You know what the batting average he's allowing is? 229 when he faces a team that many times. Managerial wins in the postseason. The list technically is not fair. I know that's a big thing for, for certain people. They They – it's not fair. It's not fair that that guy didn't get a win. It's not fair. I hear about fair all the time from the I need to get a trophy for everybody generation. So I'm just going to I'm going to let it so you don't get hurt. I'm going to just tell you now this this list is not fair. Okay. Okay. Most managerial wins in postseason history. Joe Torrey. Nice little career. Once again, he had expanded playoffs. Not fair. Yeah, well. Tony LaRusa though. Well, he's same thing. They're all they're they're all expect Tony. So it goes: Tory Larusa, Bobby Cox, Dusty Baker, Dave Roberts, Bruce Bochy, who we have to get into the breaking news today. Jim Leland and Terry Francona. Smoking Jim. Smoking Jim. He won a lot of games with the Pirates and Marlins when you only had NLCS. You didn't. Well, even, that was with the Pirates. Yeah. Yeah. The, then with the Marlins, they had the wild card. But yeah, smoking Jim's a lot of the old school way. Now you have all the you have all the old school managers. They only had the World Series. 
or then they, and they only had the LCS in the World Series. All these guys had wild cards. Yeah, especially Torrey. I mean, Torrey was the guy that got a lot of his wins after with the Yankees after 95. And La Russa got a ton of wins with the A's in kind of the old system, but then went to St. St. Louis. Louis. Got a lot of wins. After. Bobby Cox just won every year. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, he's in the postseason. I mean, 14 straight incredible. years. Uh, yeah, br- the really the breaking news today, as, as much as we want to talk about baseball, uh, talking about the playoffs tonight, the, the breaking news is Bruce Bochy's back. And I know I said I thought it'd just be an interview. Um, I thought somewhere like Toronto would be the place to go. They they re-signed uh, Schneider, right? Yeah, dropped the interim tag. Now he's the manager. I think it's a three-year deal. They were pretty good with with him. I think they went 48 and 26. Yeah, he also got lost both games at playoffs at home. You, you also blew a, an 8-1 lead in game two. You have all this talent. Why would – to me, that just reeks of we got a guy who's going to do as a front office exactly what we want. That just reeks of that, but whatever. Uh, Bochi back. Texas Rangers. In our division. Interesting. You know what that does? That brings instant credibility to the Texas Rangers. And if they have the money to spend, like, because that was the thing. They kept telling us that, don't worry, you know, the Corey Seager, the Marcus Simeon, don't worry, that's just the start of what we're going to do here. Now, little did we know that the manager and the president of baseball operations would be fired after that. We're talking about the Ranger people who would come see us here on Ace Cast Live on the field at the Coliseum. They said everybody understood, ownership understood, that this was just the start of things. Well, they couldn't have been more wrong. Because they fired their their manager and president of baseball opera. I mean, John Daniels had been there forever. He'd been there since he was twenty four years old, for God's sakes. So they dumped. They just they 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 were angry ownership, and they dumped these guys. Bring a Bruce Bochy in. You got Chris Young, former pitcher, former Princeton basketball player, six ten, uh, who pitched for Bochy back in the day. You got Bruce Bochy coming in, and to me, that brings you instant credibility. Why? Well, you're bringing in a guy who has the three rings, and you're bringing in a guy that has done nothing but win in his career. In San Diego, it was either he had a really good team or a bad team. And the good teams that he had, they won. The bad teams, they stunk. I mean, what, what, what can you do? But now Texas becomes a whole different animal. They got money. It's a state with no state taxes. New ballpark. It's a state where your money goes a lot. Further? A lot further. <laughs> I don't think I don't think ballpark has anything to do with it. Well, I'm saying they, they're playing at a new ballpark. That helps. Really? I don't think. They're all nice ballparks now. So I don't know, it has, Tampa. It has a dome. It has a roof on it, so that helps. <laughs> I don't. I. I. I, I, I the, the ballpark is not a. The, what. What. What happens is is it's a place like we learned with Marcus Simeon. You can buy a huge plot of land. You can have space. You can live in the, all these 
out neighborhoods outside of Arlington and outside of Dallas. And you got no state taxes. You're going to make more. Now you get you get charged by the tax rate of where you play. But what happens is when you play 81 games in Texas versus 81 games in California, plus, you know, you talk about your, your you know, we come back and we play in the Bay Bridge series. Well, they'll play still in Texas. I mean, you just make a lot more money playing in Texas or Florida or where Arizona. Certain states, you just make way more money than others. It's just a reality. And now you add Bruce Bochy to that? And the retractable roof, I say, would probably be the biggest sell more than just the ballpark because all the ballparks are nice. When you've traveled around, I've been to most of the ballparks. They're all nice. I've been to this ballpark. It is very nice. And the roof is great. But, I mean, they're all – I mean, they're all – I mean, unless you're like the old Wrigley, Fenway, Dodger Stadium, Oakland, and Tampa, they're all nice. L.A. too. Angels Stadium. Not a big fan. Dodger Stadium's nice. What's wrong with Angel Stadium? Um, eh. Compared to Dodger Stadium, I like Dodger Stadium more. Okay, but but you, you can't you can't go on it by what you like as a fan in the stands. You mentioned it as a player. Uh, I don't know if people are, are, are fan players really going to play Angel Stadium because it's beautiful weather every single day. And it's you are perfect. close. You are close to Disneyland if you have kids. You're next to the beach. Yeah, that helps. You're living in Orange County. Yeah, I think helps. lifestyle. <laughs> I think lifestyle. I think wives, lifestyle, weather. Uh, yeah, I think Orange County's not. There, there's a reason why you offer the money. Guys will sign in Orange County. Guys will sign in L.A. Guys will sign in San Diego. Because you know why? It's pretty nice. You know how many rain delays you're dealing with? Yeah, not many. I don't think. I, don't, I think it's not been many. I think it's been. A but long when time we're talking the stadium, there's nothing wrong with. That. The big A from a standpoint from the players, do they need a new stadium? Yes. Dodger Stadium, guys have always loved playing at Dodger Stadium. Petco's and I, they're all nice. And then plus they keep renovating Dodger Stadium. The only places they're going to like come to, they're going to come to Oakland, they're going to come to Tampa, and they're going to be like, this sucks. Fenway sucks for players. Uh, Chicago, White Sox, not White Sox. Uh, Wrigley. Wrigley sucks for players. I mean, the, I mean – They've tried to redo the the clubhouses as much as possible, but for the right price, nobody cares. But I think, yeah, the retractable roof doesn't hurt because, you know, you're going to play 81 games. But Bochy going there for the right price, that's not good for us. And that and, and for, for Bochy to re-sign and to get back into baseball, he had to hear what he wanted to hear. Now, I don't know if we've heard – has he spoken yet? I don't think so. Let me see when they're supposed to see if they. I was trying to see earlier if they were going to announce when he's going to introduce, be introduced. Because I got to think, Bochi had to hear. He had to hear the right pitch for him to sign on at his age. What is he? 68? Sixty-eight, sixty-seven, I think. For for Bruce Bochi to leave his comfort zone. Living down in San Diego, playing golf and playing guitar and drinking whiskey with uh, Tim Flannery, you had to you you had to sell him because he doesn't want to go into rebuild mode. He doesn't want to he doesn't want to not win. Bruce Bochy wants to win. He wants to win championships. That's the only reason he would come back. So he must believe. I don't know what they got in their system. 
They they got a couple guys, a couple pitchers. They got um, uh, Jack Leiter, Al Leiter's son. They got yeah. Kumar Rocker. Got the Vandy guys. They got those guys. They have a couple of hitters in their system that are supposed to be pretty good. Uh, they called a couple of those guys up. Josh Young played up this year. Um, they they you've been here for years. They've been building a uh, farm system for the future. They, they go got. They, they're gonna. They, they have to sell Bochi that they've got money for free agency, and that they're gonna go hard after pitching. And now you don't have to worry about the pitching being killed in basically the 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 first half of the season because of the heat because you're now indoors and it's more a pitcher's ballpark so pitching will play but whatever whatever he heard from Chris Young the sales pitch Bochi had to buy and to be, and had to believe it's going to work cuz there's no way he's signing on just for money and to go get his brains beat in in uh in Texas there's no way this stat from this article on MLB.com about Brochi is telling about the Rangers. Now, they have been they went to the World Series back-to-back years with Wash. He's the first Texas manager to assume the role of the previous managerial experience since the team hired Buck Showalter on October 11th, 2002. It's been 20 years since they hired a guy that had managerial experience pr- prior to be- becoming the manager of the Rangers. That's pretty – I mean, you, never, you couldn't find a guy that you liked that was that had a previous experience besides Buck Showalter in the last? Well, it's major league managerial experience. Yeah, I mean, you could be a, a minor league manager, yeah, yeah, for sure. Which is, you know, a lot of these guys have managed before. So, you know, I I don't think that that's that big of a deal. Well, you, you just hired Mark Kotze. You just had... But you had Bob Melvin before that. He had managerial experience. You just had Steve Kerr get hired. And before that, you had Mark Jackson. You had back-to-back guys who'd never even been a head coach. Kerr was a general manager. Never, ever, ever been a head coach. Not at any level. Steve Kerr hadn't coached at all. Hadn't ever, what, had Steve Kerr ever been on someone's staff? Not that I know of, no. Are we complaining about Steve Kerr? He's done a nice job. He's won, what, four titles? So, the fa- uh, I don't know, though. I mean, I have to think. When we head to the winter meetings in San Diego in December, one of the teams that we're really going to be having to look at is the Texas Rangers. Are they going to be major players? Who are the top arms on the free agent market? Uh, Kershaw will be one, and he's from Texas. No, I don't like Kershaw. Really? Uh, Old see. man Kershaw, that's the best? Well, Verlander. Verlander? No, he resigned. Remember, he resigned a deal. Did he? Uh, Bassett is going to be one. DeGrom might opt out. So there's another guy. Uh, I think Cindergaard's a free agent. Uh, Charlie Morton. So I can overpay for DeGrom to get five, six innings every five days? Well, team's going to give him that. Thanks. Uh, let's just see if they have the top free agents. Give me the top. I want – I want if, you, if you're selling me Kirsch, if you're selling me that my top free agents pitching-wise – DeGrom's the number one free agent pitcher according are to this DeGrom. List. But Verlander has an op- – he signed a deal, I thought. I thought it was a two-year deal. Maybe he has an opt-out. That's why. Uh, Carlos Rodon, if he opts out, will be a guy. Yeah, Verlander can leave his contract after this year. I think he, stay, I think he stays in Houston, but that's just me. Maybe he wants to go north. Rod- Rodon will be a guy. Let's see. Um, who else is on it? He's a reliever. Kershaw. There's Kershaw on there. Bassett. Kershaw's got so much tread on those tires. Severino. I'd take Severino. How old is he? 
28, I think. I'd take Severino in a second. Syndergaard, Wainwright, he's going to be – Can you imagine back. getting a guy who's pitched in the pressure cooker of New York and taking him in Texas in his prime? Nathan Avoldi no. from the from the same high school as Nolan Ryan? I mean, he's a, he's not a bad pitcher. What, three Tommy John surgeries later? He had a, he had a decent year for the Red Sox. You're, 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 Mania? Yeah, we're, we're getting t- towards the bottom of the starting pitching market. I don't know what they sold Bochi, but looks like they're going to go out, right? I mean, wouldn't you agree? They had to. Would they you had, take Tyler Anderson? He had a I'd, nice year. I'd, t- for the, I'd, take, I'd take everybody for the right price. <laughs> um, wouldn't you agree that there had to be a really good sales job of what they're going to do? this upcoming year to get him to take that job? Oh, yeah. I mean, are they going to spend money? Are they going to promote these guys in the minors like Rocker and, and Jack Leiter uh, to, to be on the team? I don't I don't know. They were both pitching at double-A. Or Rocker was pitching at double-A, and he wasn't doing too well. Well, at some point, you got to start – I mean, you got that new ballpark that you, – you want to you, you take advantage of the new ballpark other than saying you just have a new ballpark. You want to win in that new ballpark. And and it sucked for the Rangers because COVID hit. They had the ballpark. Couldn't have fans in it. They ended up hosting the World Series. Uh, it was just a really horrible situation. Five of their top ten prospects, uh, the Rangers, according to MLB.com, are pitchers. Rock, Rocker and, and Leiter are up there. Brock Porter. Uh, who else am I forgetting? Uh, Cole Wynn also. So, Bochi, his record in San Diego was 951 to 975. His record in San Francisco was 1,052 to 1,054. It was two games under five. He's under 500 for his career as a manager. Yeah, true. But he has 2,003 wins or something like that is how many career wins he has. But Chris Woodward, gone. John Daniels, gone. And the Bruce Bochy era has changed. Look at the commitments. The commitments they made last offseason. Corey Seager, 10 years, $325 million. Marcus Simeon, 7 years, $175 million. John Gray, $56 million for four years. Martin Perez, let's not forget about him. Who had a yeah, really had a great, nice year. Yeah, nice year. Uh, this has came out according to NBC Sports Chicago. Uh, John Heyman had a report earlier that Ron Washington, I think, was going to interview or one of the guys they want to interview for the job. NBC Sports Chicago. Ozzie Gian is in discussions to return to the team he managed to the 2005 World Series. Ozzie Gian is who you're going to bring back to manage the White Sox. That's, that's, who we, that's who you want. Coming up next, something that I learned. From watching The Last Dance. And this is perfect. Last Dance, I know a lot of you watched it during COVID. I didn't. Uh, I recently stayed up late at night and just watched it. And I finished it probably a couple weeks ago. And I want to talk about this. This will be a perfect time. There's something that I learned that you can see in baseball today from Last Dance. Kind of started with Last Dance. And... When you think about ownership and you think about Jerry Reinsdorf, all that's coming up next right here on A's Cast Live.
Secure your seats for our 1973 team reunion celebration on Sunday, April 16th with our 73 flash sale presented by Budweiser. The Oakland A's have won their second consecutive World Series championship. From October 21st to the 25th, tickets will be available at 1973 regular season prices for $5.50. Don't miss out. Visit athletics.com slash flash sale today. That's athletics.com slash flash sale. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. All right, we got the Hall of Famer Raleigh Fingers going to be joining us coming up here at 2.30. Lot to get into with Raleigh. What else do we have going on? Oh, Eno Saris will be here at 3. And uh, Dave Feldman now at 3.30. We've got a special announcement. I'm waiting to hear. We're going to have a World Series party, Game 1. We have the location. I just can't give it out yet. So you're going to have to get your traveling shoes on because we're going to be heading on the road. We're like nomads right now. We're going to be on the road, game one of the World Series. There will be drinks. There will be prizes. 
We guarantee for everybody. We are going to make it happen. All righty. Raleigh Fingers at 2.30. So watching the last dance, it made me think about what's going on in baseball today. And it really was the start, we just didn't know, of what was to come. And what made me trigger that was the Jose Guillen with Jerry Reinsdorf. Jerry Reinsdorf has been the key, has been the king of really bad decisions as an owner. Uh, bringing back Tony La Russa, bad decision. Thinking about bringing back Ozzie Guillen, bad idea. Letting Phil Jackson and breaking up his dynasty, really bad idea. Um, how many championships have the Bulls won since? Uh, let me check. That'd be zero. How many finals appearances have they had? Uh, that'd be zero. Okay. Where I think you can look, and when you go back to Last Dance, and you might be like, why the hell are you bringing it up? I, I, I'll, 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 there's a good reason why. And I've been waiting to make this point, and I've been trying to tell Cody to remind me, and it just hit me. Watching that, you should have noticed something. You should have noticed the power of Jerry Krause. And that was the start of really what we have today. What do we have today? We have today that the stars of the show now want to be front office people. They want to be looked at as the reason why teams win championships. All you needed to do was either live during that time and you know this, or you saw it during the last dance. Jerry Krause wanted credit. Yes, Michael Jordan's great, but Jerry Krause made unbelievable moves. He made great moves for the first three championships and the second three championships. He was a savvy general manager. And, yeah, they could make fun of him, call him short, call him fat, do all of that, be disrespectful, because that's what they were as players. And everybody wants to be, you're all jock sniffers, and everything's about Jordan. One guy just doesn't win. And Jerry Krause signed guys to great contracts. Look how cheap he had Scottie Pippen for, which was obviously a big deal throughout the last dance you got to see because I think a lot of you, you just didn't live it and you didn't know it and you had never seen it. But, yeah, that was always a big deal. Signing Dennis Rodman was a big deal. Always having these talented big men was always a big deal. Going from John Paxson to Steve Kerr. Well, who made all these decisions? Jerry Krause. Jerry Krause. Jerry Krause is a general manager with six rings. And at the very end... What you see now in baseball, who wants the credit in baseball? Well, you're always going to have to give it to the players, but what have they done with the head coach in baseball, who we call a manager? They've tried to act like he's not the main player anymore. Look what Jerry Krause did. Jerry Krause basically said, hey, man, this is your last year. I mean, Phil Jackson's one of the most accomplished coaches in American sports history, and this guy basically told him, this is your last year. Even though Reinsdorf at the end says, I told, I told, I told him he could come back. Thanks, Jerry. 
You you think Jerry, you wait for the whole thing to be over for then to tell Philly can come back. By that point, Phil was F you, I'm out of here. So what you saw, this was going on in the eighties and the nineties, where you clearly see front office wanting credit for what's going on. All these years, front offices stayed in the back, and they gave all the credit to the manager. They gave all the credit to the players. That's what they did. Now, completely different story. Front offices want to be the smartest guy. Front offices want to dictate all the action. They want to control it. It's the closest thing to actually playing the game that you have. You control every moment of it. Now, this is far different from the last dance because they didn't have that. A guy like Jerry Krause didn't have that kind of control back then. They do now in the NBA. They definitely do in Major Major League Baseball is scripting out their entire game now. It's ridiculous. And they would tell you you're an idiot for not agreeing with them. The guy who was the smartest guy in the room was Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh would script out the first X amount of plays of a game. Why would he do that? Well, it was pretty simple. He would script it out, and you run these different plays, not only to see what's working right out of the gate for your team, but now you call these different plays, you get to see how the other team lines up as a defense against you. First couple drives, you get to know what are they trying to do against you so then that you can prepare the rest of the game. It's a chess match. Bill Walsh didn't script out the entire game. Why? Because the game changes. Things happen in the game that change. But I'll script it early just to see what they're doing. How do they line up? Well, if we have Jerry Rice over here or we have Jerry Rice over there or we put this guy, we put Jerry Rice over here and we send a guy in motion going that way, we're now going to see how the defense reacts to all that and then we can plan it out for the rest of the game. Baseball now wants to control everything. They want to control the signings. They can want to control every bit of the organization. They want to control the big league level. They want to control who plays, when they play, how they play. They want to control everything. They want the credit. They want to be stars. They want to, you know, back in the day, let's be honest, back in the day, front office people never had shows. You never heard from them. You think there were, like, the general manager shows in the 70s, even in the 80s? Do you? I mean, I never heard of one. You never even, most people didn't even know who their general manager was. Billy Bean, with, with allowing Moneyball to happen, the book and the movie, all the guys that are in the game now, they saw that and went, that's who I want to be. I want to be a star front office guy. Do you think if you're somebody who's in data that you're ever going to be a celebrity? Do you think that? Do you think if you're a data scientist, if you're an engineer, if you're if you're one of the top engineers for let's just say Apple. 
Apple literally is not too far from where we are right now. One of the most successful companies in the world. Google's over in Mountain View, not too far from here. Some of the most successful companies in the world are not far from where we are right now. With some of the smartest people in the world. They walk into a restaurant, nobody knows who they are. Nobody cares. They're just some random dude or female, dudette. Nobody knows who they are. But all these guys and gals, they saw Moneyball. They saw this Billy Bean. They saw this character. How many of them have said, I saw the movie and I knew that's what I wanted to do? Why? Because Billy's somebody. He's somebody. He's Brad Pitt. He's good looking. Everybody wants to be him. So if you're a guy that grew up, you've never played baseball, you can't play, you've got no athletic ability, but you know data and you know numbers, where can you be a star? You can't be a star, Google, but you can be a star for the Cleveland Indians if you're the general manager and you win. You can be a starter. Who's Hein Bloom? If Hein Bloom, this genius that's running the Red Sox, went to work for Oracle, would any of you know who he is? Would he walk through the convention center at San Diego for the winter meetings and have everybody kissing his ass if he worked for Intel? No. But running the bot, this dork running the, the Boston Red Sox is now some baseball celebrity. And everywhere in New England, everybody knows who he is. This, this, you go around right now, and I can talk about this because this is not how our front office is built. This is not who David Force is. This is not who Billy Bean is. They're not. They know what I'm talking about. You think Andrew Friedman is someone anybody would know who the hell he is if he didn't run the Dodgers or care? Would anybody care? Would Andrew Friedman get the attention in his life if he didn't run the Dodgers and he ran some other regular company? This has been an opportunity for all of these data slash I don't even know if they love baseball, but it's a chance for them to be somebody. And I don't, I don't, I'm not going to harp on somebody who, that, who wants to have notoriety, who wants to be known. But with their skill, this is the way. This is the way they can be a player. They can be a pseudo celebrity. You, I mean, if you really realize and you went around to all these front offices and looked at all these Ivy League guys and you look at their background, you can go at all the job postings right now for baseball. It's all for data scientists, not people who've ever worked in baseball. Well, this was the start with Jerry Krause. Jerry Krause was really the first executive who was a non player. You know, Jerry West was an executive at the time, but he was the logo, for God's sakes. This was a short, little man, no talent from a physical standpoint, who was becoming a star because he was winning championships as a front office guy. And he wanted to get rid of Jordan. He had already won six titles with him. His stardom was, I want to win and rebuild and win it again without Jordan because it was about him becoming somebody. And that's what we have in the game of baseball. That We should have seen it coming. 
People didn't know. Can you imagine when you when you were a little kid, you grew up a Pirates fan? Correct. Can you name me one assistant general manager that you remember as a kid? Assistant general manager? Assistant general manager. Hell, I can't remember who the general – well, I remember Dave Littlefield, but prior to that, I don't remember who any of the general managers were for the Pirates. No, no. You know him as you got old. When you were a little kid, you knew who the general manager was? No, no. That's my whole point. Yeah, no. No. They even knew who the manager was. These guys, these guys, I don't even know if they really love baseball, but they have the skill set that baseball is looking for now, so they come in – and now they're in the data. They're in the, you know, they build the team through the data and through all of that. This is their chance to be somebody. Because with their skill set, they would just be working for some company and they'd be regular schmoes like the rest of us. This is their chance to make good money and to have the lifestyle and to be in pro sports. And when you're a GM, man, everywhere you go, you're the GM of major. There's only 30 jobs. And actually, the assistant GM jobs are pretty damn good, too. Is there anything that I'm saying that doesn't make sense? No, and you look at the assistant GMs that we've had here in Oakland. Dan Feinstein, Billy Owens, they've been here forever. We're, we're, we're an outlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, there's guys that run teams. Like, the 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 Astros assistant GM okay, is you're, out. You're, 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 that's not anything that I was No, I, I know. I was just saying, like. You're... Our guys are all baseball people who got into it. I'm talking about, like Jerry Krause who wasn't even a basketball guy when he got oh, brought in. I'll give you an example. We know him because we interviewed him on our show. Sig Meidel, who is, who is now the, the assistant GM of the Orioles, was a engineer, or he worked at NASA, and he was a blackjack te- uh, dealer while he was in college. It, it Why did he get into baseball? Because of Moneyball. He, tell, he tells the story all the time. He told us. Man. He got into it because he saw this movie, and he wants to be somebody. Jeffrey Luno, the most probably the most disgraced general manager in the history of sports now, was not a baseball guy. He was a consult. He worked for a consultant consulting agency, and he got into baseball. The big consultant who uh, consulted, McK- uh, uh, McKinney Mc- McKinsley. I think it was McKinsley. Sorry with an M. It's McKinsley. I'm pretty sure. He worked for them, and then he got into baseball, and now he's out of baseball. And I think he works in like soccer or something. But look what he did. I mean, he wasn't a baseball guy. I mean, a lot of these guys aren't anymore, especially front like GMs. And they get into baseball because this is their chance to be somebody. Didn't Farhan work at Google? Like I, I, I had a conversation yesterday with a student at San Diego State who's trying to get into the business of broadcasting and sports media. And we we're talking. I said, if you look around baseball, a lot of the people that run teams didn't even go to be baseball people. They were they're engineers or data scientists or rocket science scientists. They, they none of a lot, a lot of people anymore, you know, went to school for business and to, be, to get into running a baseball team. Just like a lot of people that do broadcasting didn't school, go to school to be broadcasters. A lot of people who get into our business, they get into it for the same reason. They want to be somebody. They want to be known. They want to be on TV. They want to be on radio. Regular jobs, you, you don't get to be that person. I've always said what we do is like ghetto celebrity. <laughs> but but that that's where I got from the – if you're like, well, how did you get Last Dance? That's what I, I – the like, Last Dance brought that back. The Last Dance brought back the – Oh, God, Jerry Krause. Jerry Krause is what now, or Jerry Krause was what all these guys want to be now. They want the credit. Every GM, these guys want the credit. They want to call managers middle management, and they want the credit. They want everybody to say, Dodgers won 111 games because the front office. 
Dave Roberts, Dave Roberts, he's just a puppet. We're the smart guys. We're the reason we won. Look at all the PhDs and look at all the science. Look at all the data. We're the reason why the Dodgers won. What did Jeff Luno call his employees when he when he got in trouble? Lower-level Lower employees. And that's what our game is. And it's so funny, like, how, like, MLB now tries to foster this, and you're like, you do you really think it's good that Tampa has basically made Kevin Cash, even though he's won manager of the year, which is kind of a joke, that he's just basically middle management? That they script out everything, like every move of the game? It's crazy. Is that what's best for baseball? If it is, so be it. But we don't know because it's kind of still new. And whenever a team flames out like the Dodgers, what's the first thing you do? You have to question, did they outsmart themselves and cost themselves? Like they have all the resources. They have all the ability to get whatever talent they can get. They have it all. And yet they keep falling short except for one year. Why? And they make moves that make you go, why? But they're going to tell you, we followed the data. The data told us to do this, and we're – I mentioned it's like blackjack players. You read that blackjack book, and the blackjack book tells you never deviate from the system. Always, always, always play the system. And that's what these teams are doing. But I hope it makes sense. I don't know why you went to our guys, the A's guys. But I hope it makes sense that what I'm talking about is all these guys are not baseball people. They get into baseball. They're going to look at you and say, yeah, because I want to be. But it's really it's their chance to take their intelligence and what they do well and for them to actually be somebody, to be recognized, and to be a pseudo-celebrity. The reason I mentioned our guys is because they're guys who have been here forever who don't want to be in the spotlight. They're well, not then looking, you should yeah. have said that. Well, you, you just mentioned our guys. Well, no, they, they're not looking for the spotlight. I mean, Billy Owens could have been a, could be a general manager. Well, Billy Owens was a player. Yeah, he was. He Bellarmine Bell Prep right here in San yeah. Jose. These guys were talking about they never played anything at any level. A lot of them probably didn't even play high school. I mean, David Force played college baseball at Harvard. Actually, David Force told us something that I don't think he had ever told us. I don't even think. He played in a pinnacle. Oh, yeah. So that means he got paid. So yeah, so he had a baseball career. Like we knew, we knew about Harvard already. Yeah, so he actually got paid to play. I, that's what our guy. I mean, Billy B, Billy Bean playing the major leagues. That's true. These guys, we're, the, all these guys are talking about. They're like Jerry Krause. Jerry Krause was the start of all of this. I think you could go back to the non-ever playing general manager who got big headed, wanted all the control in the world. Started with probably Jerry Krause. I want to see what he did after Chicago. He's dead. Well, yeah, but. He died five. He passed away five years ago. But yeah, he was the bull. He was the Bulls until '03. They were awful after Jordan left. They got what good. Did do, what did he do? What did he do before the Bulls? Um, let's see. He replaced Rod Thorne in 1985-86. So that would have been like like a year after Jordan was born. Right, he's a scout. Cross worked as a baseball scout for the Indians, then Indians, the A's, Mariners, and White Sox. While working for the Mariners, Cross continued to scout part time for the Lakers. As a White Sox scout, he he played a role in the signing of Ozzie Gain and Kenny Williams. He was a baseball scout, going nowhere. And then all of a sudden, built the Chicago Bulls. He gets a ton of credit. He's one of the great executives in the history of sports. Jerry Krause, but he wanted the credit. He didn't get any credit because where did all the credit go? Jordan. And actually, you watch Last Dance, it went to everybody. 
Yeah, but also hey, well, now, all everything, even even the players feel. Wait, wait, I'm gonna go to break. Don't call Raleigh yet. Um, all the players, you could tell in a way, feel like everything went to Jordan. You could totally tell. But that that I just wanted to get that out. I wanted to say, you know, what we have to, and then Reinsdorf, my God, you bring back Ozzy again. Reinsdorf, for what he has won, what, seven titles, six with the Bulls, one with the White Sox? Correct. I was going to say real quick, he's the guy that hired Jerry Cross from the White Sox as their owner to the Bulls, who he also owned. <laughs> Crazy. Hall of Famer, Raleigh Fingers, next, right here on A's Cast Live. Secure your seats for our 1973 team reunion celebration on Sunday, April 16th with our 73 flash sale presented by Budweiser. The Oakland A's have won their second consecutive World Series championship. From October 21st to the 25th, tickets will be available at 1973 regular season prices for $5.50. Don't miss out. Visit athletics.com slash flash sale today. That's athletics.com slash flash sale. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Well, before we bring Raleigh on, I do want to throw this out there. Secure your seats for our 1973 team reunion celebration on Sunday, April 16th with our 73 flash sale presented by Budweiser. From today, October 21st to December or to October 25th, tickets will be available at the 1973 regular season prices of $5.55. You can get these tickets online at athletics.com slash flash sale. That's athletics.com slash flash sale. $5.50 for tickets going back to 1973. Anniversary of winning the World Series was today. That's why we're going to have Raleigh, and I'll give him a call here in a second. But this is a great today deal. Today was the final day of the World Series? It was. Uh, I have. Do, do, you want, do you want to play from the game? I'll, I'll get a play for you real quick. We'll play uh, 
Well, you know, let's just play the final call. Here's the final call of the 1973 World Series, Game 7 against the Mets. They play Garrett, even though he's going against the fastballing left-hander, way around to the right, still to pull the ball. And now the fans realize, instead of this World Series being over, as it should be, but for the error, one swing of the bat could tie it up. Goes back, throws a little looper. Campanaris goes back, says, I've got it, that is it! second consecutive World Series championship. The first time that's been done since the Yankees of 62 and 63. And for the first time in the last seven World Series, one league has won two in a row. And that is, of course, the American League. So there you go. This On this date today. And we're giving Raleigh a call now. So get, the, get your tickets, athletics.com slash flash sale. I got a good feeling about some things next year. I mean, when you start looking at the starting rotation, could be interesting. Do we have Raleigh? Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Raleigh Fingers, welcome back to A's Cast Live. He's a three-time World Series champion, a seven-time All-Star, the American League MVP and Cy Young Award in 1981, World Series MVP in '74. Four-time Rolades Relief Man of the Year, three-time MLB Save Leader, and, of course, in the Baseball Hall of Fame, the A's Hall of Fame, and his number 34 is retired. Raleigh, it's always great to have you on the program. Thank you. It's nice to be. Uh, <laughs> today, on this date, is when you guys finally finished the Mets in the World Series in 1973. When you think about that seven-game set, what do you think about? Well, we uh, we were kind of down three games to two coming back to Oakland. We didn't play real good ball in New York uh, uh, in that series, and we won one game and lost two. But um, we came back home and we got some great pitching from uh, I think uh, Catfish and Holtzman, and um, and uh, we won the, the two the two ball games here and or in Oakland at the time. So uh, that uh, that was our second World Championship. So uh, that was fun, but. Uh, it was a it was a tougher series, I think, because uh, uh, the the Mets had a real good pitching staff. They had Tom Seaver, uh, John Matlack, and Jerry Kuzman, and a couple t- uh, tough left-handers and a power pitcher. And uh, uh, we we knew we had our hands full against those guys. But uh, I think the one mistake I think that uh, Yogi Berra made was uh, pitching Tom Seaver in Game Six uh, on two on two days rest. I think he should have given him that extra day. Uh, and and held him back for a game seven that might have been a different story. I mean to but, think um, of to think about doing that like now we freak out if anyone's thinking about going on three days rest. The fact that basically no rest with your star pitcher is just unheard of. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I think uh, I think Yogi wanted to end it in Oakland in game six, and uh, he just guessed wrong. <laughs> so uh, I'm glad I'm glad it worked out the way it did. <laughs> You know, when you guys think back, and it's one of the great things when we get you guys together, when, when, when you look back, just talk about the mindset, you know, the coming from Kansas City to Oakland, you know, you first started tasting it in 71, you end up taking down Cincinnati in 72, but then you went back to back in 73. 
What is that mindset now that, hey, we're just not this fluke team who got one year. We've won it two years in a row. Yeah, well, we, we knew we had a good ball. Yeah, we knew we had a good ball club. Uh, and, you know, every, back then, all of us guys came up through the minor leagues together. We had a nucleus of about 13 or 14 guys that we played together for a lot of years in the minor leagues. And we all hit the big leagues right around the same time, 68, 69. And then we played together for two or three years. And uh, we knew what to expect. And we had some great talent. I mean, we had some guys who were made. We had, I think one year we had like five or six guys, maybe even seven guys on the all-star team. And uh, we just had some great talent. And uh, uh, if we would have, if Charlie Finley would have kept us together, uh, I think we could have gone on to win maybe two, maybe three more world championships because we were right in the middle of our prime uh, when we, we were 28, 29, 30 years old, and we'd already had three world championships under our belt. And uh, we were playing good. We had a great pitching staff, uh, solid in the bullpen, uh, home run hitters, RBI guys that drive in RBIs. I mean, we had a good, solid team. And uh, Charlie just let that all get away because he didn't want to pay us. And that was a shame. You know, one of the things that we never really get into is how you got to the World Series and the fact that you guys had a lot of legendary battles with the Baltimore Orioles, and they had their Hall of Famers, they had their great players, they had their great manager in 73. Uh, you had to get through them, and that wasn't any day at the beach either. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. They had, I mean, they're looking at two teams with two great pitching staffs. I mean, they had Palmer and uh, Mike Cuellar and Dave McNally. And I think Pat Dobson was there. Uh, so they had some great starting pitching, and their offense was always tough with uh, Brooks Robinson, Frank Robinson, Paul Blair, uh, Boog Powell, Andy Etcheberry. I mean, they were, they were one of those kind of teams that uh, you knew they were going to be uh, in, the, in the pennant race towards the end of the season. And it just so happened that we, had to run, we ran into those guys twice in 73, uh, and in 74, and uh, we were lucky to take care of both of them. Well, no disrespect to the Mets, but they weren't even close as good as the Baltimore Orioles were. <laughs> no, but they had a pitching staff. No. Pitching is what it's a short series. Uh, anything can happen. I mean, anything can happen in the short. I mean, that's proof right now with the uh, San Diego Padres. I mean, uh, you know, they have one of the worst records, and they go into – into New York and beat the Mets and then, and then they play the Dodgers and they beat the Dodgers and you know, they got a good pitching staff. They got a great bullpen. I mean, that's what it is today is bullpen. Uh, most teams want to have that lead by the fifth inning. If they have that lead by the fifth inning, they figure they're going to win with the bullpen because nowadays you've got, you got six or seven guys down in the bullpen on every, on every team that are throwing the ball 95, 96, 97 miles an hour. Uh, you know, back when I was playing, you're lucky if you had one guy like that. So the bullpens have really changed in the past, but the pitching is where it's at. You have a good pitching staff. Whoever goes into the series with the better, better pitching staff, the one that's more healthy, that's the team that's going to win. Well, Ray Fossey would always tell us in the 74 World Series, the bullpen was you. You had starters and you. <laughs> yeah, I was the only guy, I think, that came in out of yeah. the pen that year. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, it was just the starters and you. That's all you guys needed. I think we only used four, four or five pitchers in the whole series. 
So, you know, it's, it's a little different. I use four or five pitchers in the whole game, in one game right now. It's a little different. I know. It, so. it, it, I mean, it, it's it, it's actually tough to watch. And I know everybody just calls this old school. But to watch a starting pitcher go four innings, five innings, and then you have a, a law firm of relievers who have to come in, uh, that, 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 that that's just tough sledding. But, you know, thinking about 73, you know, when I looked at the Mets, you know, when we went back during COVID and we started airing some of these games, uh, what was it like when you're preparing for a 42-year-old Willie Mays? <laughs> well, I grew up, I grew up idolizing Willie. In fact, uh, uh, when I was a kid, he was my first autograph I got when I was a kid. Really? At, at a Dodger Stadium, and I chased him down in the parking lot at uh, Chavez Ravine at Dodger Stadium when I was about 14, 15 years old. And I asked him for his autograph, and he gave it to me. And then uh, 13 years later, uh, I'm facing him in the World Series, and uh, I'm the last guy to strike him out. Uh, the last hit he got in, the, in a big league uniform, and his last RBI was off of me. <laughs> it was all every so, last hit, last RBI, last K was all you and Willie Mays. Yep, uh, yeah, in his career. <laughs> wow, that. I told Willie, I told Willie, I said, Willie, and when I went in the Hall of Fame, I told Willie that story, and I said, Willie, it's a good thing you gave me the autograph, or I'd have drilled your ass. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Oh, but, you... uh, no, there's no way I'm going to hit Willie. <laughs> what is it? He didn't know that. I've actually been back to the – I was there in 99 when George Brett, Nolan Ryan, and Robin Yount went in together and Orlando Cepeda. And just to see there all you guys on the stage, it's just absolutely incredible. And I know you go down to the hotel that's right on the water. Just when you're a baseball Hall of Famer and you go back and you guys get to be around each other, you have the dinners, you have the cocktail parties, you have the ceremonies. Just what is that like to be around the other Hall of Famers when you get around each other one time a year? Uh, oh, it's, it's great. Um, when I, when I first in, went in, I, you know, I, I was more or less a rookie, you know, uh, in, in 92, when you go into the dinner, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at these guys. I mean, I collected all their baseball cards when I was a kid. Uh, you know, you got, you got Johnny Mize and the Yogi Bear, Whitey Ford, Stan Musial, all these guys, um, uh, Bob Feller, Robin Roberts. I mean, all these guys that you collected cards at, and now you're all of a sudden you're in the room, same room with these guys having dinner. My, it's a little surreal. I mean, I sat down at my first dinner, first dinner we had. I sat at the table. It was all pitchers. It was me, Steve Carlton, uh, uh, Don Sutton, or not Don Sutton. He wasn't there. It was me, Steve Carlton, Bob Gibson, Sandy Koufax. And uh, I think uh, there was one other pitcher there. I can't remember who, but that's who I had dinner with the first. And, you know, I always grew up being an idol for Sandy Koufax. And, I'm, you know, I'm just sitting there in awe. And uh, I basically didn't say anything. You don't really say too much. You don't want these guys getting on you. So you, you wait a couple of years, then you can start, then you start popping off a little bit. But <laughs> I didn't say nothing to anybody. It's just it, – and just think about that, where you are in your life, right? Your career's over. Uh, from a baseball standpoint, it's been five years. 
I mean, you are one of the best pitchers in the history of the game. You've got you've got everything, right? You've got World Series, you got MVP, you got Cy Young, and here you go into that dinner and you feel like a kid again, and you feel like a rookie oh, yeah. again when you're one of the most accomplished guys in the history of the game. <laughs> yeah, it, it was weird, but you know, they they would get on me a little bit. You know, they would say, you know what, you know. I, Bob Gibson said, you know, you're a relief pitcher, you know. You didn't throw that many innings. And I said, Bob, if you had me in the bullpen, you'd have 30 more wins on your resume. Yeah. <laughs> all of all of you guys would have. You know, we have, they didn't have they didn't have relief pitchers back there or like that. We have made the case on this show that you are the greatest relief pitcher of all time. When you look at your volume the innings, the high leverage innings that you pitched, just kind of teach our younger audience because they've grown up in this world where there's a ninth inning guy and he only comes in. It's you know it's got to be with the lead, maybe tied, gonna pitch one inning. You are someone that pitched a lot of innings. You came up a starter. Just kind of educate our younger listeners what the role like was for you back in the day coming out of the bullpen. Uh, well, it, it all depends on the way the game was going, but usually by the fifth inning, I would start watching what was going on. If we had a one run lead it it looked like, you know, there was a possibility that I might get in. So I might get up in the fifth or the sixth inning and just start soft tossing a little bit just to get my arm loose and not throw hard or anything. But, uh, there were games where I'd come in, uh, see the biggest thing back then is you're coming into ball games with men on base. These guys don't have to do that nowadays. They always start the inning fresh. But with the way starting pitching was back then, starting pitchers wanted complete games. So they wanted to stay in the uh, game as long as they could. And that's why, you know, catfish, there were games I'd come in uh, with catfish pitching and he'd have the bases loaded and uh, nobody out. He'd want to stay in. And you'd have to fight him to get him off the mound. So, uh, you know, back then you were always coming into games in trouble in the sixth inning. Hope you get and hope you get a pop up and a double play, get out of the inning and then finish the game. I mean, I don't know how many four inning saves I had. I have no clue. I know one time I went I went seven innings, seven or eight innings in a game uh, and uh, didn't get the win. <laughs> we didn't score any runs in seven innings. So uh, it was that was the way it was back then. You had to be ready to come in when you were a closer. You, uh, there's nobody warming up in the bullpen. When I came in, there was nobody warming up in the bullpen. I was in there uh, for the whole game. It was either the Casser or the outhouse, one of the two. It was going to be. So uh, you were out there the whole game. Reggie Jackson said when, when when you came in, it was grab your hat, grab your coat. It was time to go home. Uh, one of the great <laughs> lines that Mr. October has said on this program. You know, when you think about the Oakland Athletics and the way – they celebrate your guys. And you think about Dave Cavill, our president, and you think about everybody when we bring you guys together. I'm always the one that, you know, does the dog and pony show with the questions with the fans and you guys, and it's just always so special to me. What does it mean to you and to your group of guys that the A's want to continue to celebrate you guys and your greatness? Oh, I I love Dave. Uh Fisher, they're you know they're great baseball fans and they they realize the history of the A's and uh, they love having us older generation guys uh, coming back 
and we get together uh, just about every year, and we, we induct two or three guys from the past into the Oakland A's Hall of Fame, and they're all for it. It's great that they uh, they appreciate the alumni, the guys that played back 30, 40 years ago and uh, knew how great we were back then. So uh, they're they're not only owners but and presidents, but they're fans. And so they enjoy seeing us and inviting us back every year. I think it's great. Well, and just also the joy that the fans have with you guys sharing that moment together. It just seems so special, the relationship that these fans have with the great teams and then you getting together with really like your brothers. You only get to see these guys so much, so when you guys get together, it's so special. The whole thing's just beautiful. You know, what's so great about it is, like I said before, we all came up through the minor league, and we all – it's not like today where you're – you sign a three-year contract, you become a free agent, bang, you go off to another team. We played together from 1968 to 1976 together. We had this, basically the same lineup every year. And uh, we would we would bring different guys in when a guy got hurt or something. Uh, uh, you know, we added Billy North to our lineup. We had, we had Matty Alou one year. We had Mike Epstein. Uh, but, you know, we always had Rudy in left and Campy at short, Sal Bando at uh, third and Dick Green at first, uh, Dave Dunker or Ray Fossey, Gene Tennis catching. I mean, we always basically had the same lineup, and that's, that was what was great about that team. We were a family, and, uh, you know, we had our fights, but, you know, you have, you have fights in any family, <laughs> any family uh, situation. So, uh, but we got over it. You'd be, you'd be fighting with some guy that, that day and be out having dinner with him that night. That's just the way that that ball club was. It was fun to play on. Yeah, you guys were brothers, no doubt, no doubt about it. And then just how much fun is it with the fans when they get to ask you questions and they they hung on every moment with you guys and they remember every moment of 73 or 72 or 74? Oh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of guys that come up to me who were – uh, you know, they're about 55 right now. And now, you know, that I go back, well, that means you were probably about 10 or 11 or 15, uh, when we were winning in, uh, 72, three and four. And when you grow up with a team, uh, and they're win and you, you get to know those players, you're never going to forget them. You're never going to forget their numbers. You could, I guarantee you ask an old guy who's a big baseball fan in 72, he could tell you the player and what number they wore in their back. Uh, I was the same way when I was a kid. I was a big Dodger fan, and I could name all the ball players in their and their numbers probably right now, even from back in the '60s. When you grow up with a team and uh, that team is winning uh, and they stay together, you remember them. You remember them uh, uh, your whole life. Uh, my favorite thing is you. T- you know, looking at Willie Mays. Yeah, you better sign that autograph, or you would have wore one right in your ribs. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'd hit Willie, though. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's just end on this. Uh, I know it was years ago, but your guys' greatness and, and, you know, what you went went on to do in, in San Diego and then, of course, in Milwaukee was just incredible. But, you know, your time in Oakland, how much do you ever sit around and still think about the greatness that was the A's and your greatness as an Oakland athletic? Oh, it was fun. Uh, you know, you, you always look back and, 
especially if you you know you win or you get a ring. That's what everybody wants is that World Series ring. And we had the opportunity to get three of them in a row, which doesn't happen very often. But I mean, we had uh, we had fun together. I, you know, going to the ballpark. Uh, 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 you know, we'd have uh, Ra- some of the Raider players were fans of ours. I was fans of the Raiders. I during football season, I would. I would drive down to the ballpark on Sunday during football season. I mean, I wasn't playing, and I'd, I'd just drive into the ballpark because all the parking attendants knew who I was, and I'd just say, hey, I'm going to go down, I'm going to do some working out in the gym and stuff. They let me in. I'd just walk right out on the field and uh, be on the sidelines for the Raider games on Sunday. I didn't even have to buy a ticket. It was great. Nah. <laughs> but uh, the whole, all of Oakland loved the Raiders and the Oakland A's back in the early 70s. I mean, golly, uh, uh, I love going to the Raider games. They were fun, too. Well, it is always an honor to have you on the program, and I can't wait this year to celebrate the 73 team, truly one of the great teams and one of the great runs in the history of baseball. You be well throughout the holidays, and then we'll see you next year when we do this celebration. Okay, certainly will. Thank you. I enjoyed being on your show, man. It, uh, it, was, it was You're bringing back memories for me, I'll tell you. It was fun. You're the best, Raleigh. You take care. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. And I mean that. You're talking about truly one of the great players all time. Where you may not know it, and I it, later in his career – that's when he finally started getting the love. I was going to ask about the – I've asked him a hundred times about the, hundred, uh, the handlebar mustache. He got paid for it. They all got paid to do the mustache and kept growing, and then he kept it. Glad that he kept it. But uh, it wasn't until he was with Milwaukee where he was the MVP in 1981, Cy Young Award winner, 1981. I mean, this guy was the World Series MVP in 74. They won three straight championships. Only the Yankees have done that before. They've done it multiple times with the A's. That's it. A's and Yankees, the only teams to ever win three championships in a row. I mean, you can't – we haven't had a back-to-back since what? The, the 98, 90, 97, yeah. 98 – no, 98, 99, 2000 Yankees. And before that, the last back-to-back would have been the Toronto Blue Jays. When was last? No, that's when we, we haven't had a National League team do it since the Reds did it in the mid seventies. Where where were you? Uh, let's see. I wasn't around. You were like three. My dad was seventy five, seventy six. I was three and four years old. Yeah, my dad would have been fifteen uh, in seventy six. I think my mom would have been eleven. And yeah. I was not even close to being born yet. Twelve years away. <laughs> yeah, all the time. Yeah, you remember the Big Red Machine? No, Big Red Machine was. Um, they were kind of broken up by the time I started going to games. Like, like you know, I was three, four years old in 75, 76. I just – I don't lie to you, folks. You know that. All the years doing the postgame show, all the years doing this show, I don't act like, oh, yeah, big red machine. I, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I can I can look on baseball reference. I know how great they were. I know how great the A's were in 72, 73, 74. I've interviewed all of these guys – 72, 73, 74, multiple times. I've hosted all the events. I did, I was born in 72. I went back and watched every game frame by frame. Frame by frame, even though you can't even get every game by game. We couldn't even do it. But their greatness is – I mean, Raleigh Fingers would come in and pitch two, three innings. 
That's why you look at his numbers. His numbers are more impressive than Mariano Rivera's. Now, you can't take away what Mariano, what Mariano Rivera did in the postseason. He had all that opportunity. He cashed in on it. But he was a ninth-inning guy the majority of his career. You just can't compare him. I mean, if you went numbers, if you just went numbers, it's like, but no one wants to do it. And it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like Hembo today going off on, on Jeter. If you look at the numbers, Jeter stunk at, at shortstop. Yep. I, I'm not going to say he stunk. I watched enough Jeter to know he didn't stink. I think Carlos Correa even said that he wasn't a good defensive shortstop. Was that last year? He brought. Up, I think Correa said something about Jeter. But he didn't stink. I, I wouldn't say he was. Uh, he was great either. I'd take him. Oh yeah, for what? I'd he, take him for twenty years of throwing out there. Every yeah, day. yeah, for sure. I mean, he's one of the most clutch hitters in the history and the history. But of the I mean, he doesn't suck. That's where I met defensive metrics. Let's just say defensive me- metrics aren't perfect. And I don't need the guy to have the greatest range in the world. Right? We could win games with Jed Lowry at shortstop. If you hit and feel the ball in front of you, I can play you. Now, if you're going to be Marcus Simeon and have 32, 33, how many do It was up there. If you're going to boot re- routine ball after routine ball, then we got it. Then, then we got problems. Right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Eno's here. Oh, do we have the great Eno Saris? What's up, buddy? How's it going? How does it look? We got a new camera going now. So we got a fancy new camera. We can zoom in, zoom out. I like it. I like it. I still got all the bobbleheads. I can see more of them now, I feel like. Yeah, we oh yeah, we we we've we got new tricks coming our way. Can we play the man is open for God's sake? Oh yeah, sakes? I always forget about that. Can we give the man his due? Gotta give the man his due. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. Well, how you feeling, my man, with everything going on in baseball right now in the playoffs? I think it looks pretty good. You know, I think it's it's compelling baseball. Sometimes the changes between relievers and, uh, you know, there are a lot of strikeouts on the New York side of the ball yes. in that <laughs> in that American League one. But, you know, it's not like it's all on New York. They, they struck out a little bit more than average, but they didn't strike out like the worst in baseball. You know, part of that is that the Houston Astros had the best pitching staff in baseball. You know, and right now, if you look at it, the average fastball in the playoffs, the average, the average fastball in the playoffs is 95.3 miles per hour. So I think that's why hitters are hitting 211 in the playoffs and why, you know, the Yankees are having a little bit of trouble making contact. So then you kind of wonder, okay, this is where modern baseball is going, right? We're not going to – we're not velocity is not going to dip back to what it used to be. That's where people have talked about moving the mound back. Just what, 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 what do you think will be the next step to try and help offenses out? You know, 
I think you can do a, a little bit with the schedule and the roster. We've talked about, you know, limiting how many pitchers can be on the roster. Um, I see a little bit of evidence, uh, for example, that uh, that starters are throwing more of the innings this postseason than they have in the last two. Now, you know, how much of that was due to like 2020 short season, 2021, the season after a short season, you know? Uh, but it is the first time in like the last 20 years that starters have pitched more innings in the postseason. And the postseason, a lot of times, is where we see something new happen, right? Like, for example, if you look over the history of the postseason, uh, breaking balls, we saw like, you know, in 2008, 22% of the pitches in the postseason were breaking, ball, were breaking balls. In 2017, that was 30%. Now we're seeing that in the regular season. So a lot of the stuff we see in the postseason gets tried out in the postseason. And then people say, well, why not do that all year? And uh, so I, I wonder if we're starting to see, you know, baseball say, hey, I think we, we were riding relievers too hard. We, you know, starting pitchers are actually pretty good. You know, we should we should let the starting pitchers throw some more. And, and if you had like if you said, like, you can only have 12 pitchers on your roster uh, at any given time, then you would have to get more innings from your starter. Well, so that's that's something you can do. Well, you'd mentioned it earlier on this show that when you start looking at the numbers, the numbers were always so so much better bringing a reliever in than the starters that those numbers started to average out. They got a lot closer. And I was thinking about this as, as now we we like to throw out the average of the hitters versus the pitcher the third time through the order. And I was laughing with Cody going, everybody told me batting average doesn't matter with, with, with players, but now we want to use batting average when talking about pitchers third time. And I went, batting average really doesn't matter. It's are they giving up runs? Because going a third time through the lineup, that's nine outs. If you give up a hit or two, the average is going to go way up. But if you didn't give up any runs, what does it matter what the average is? Yeah, I mean, slugging goes up too. You know, it's not just the average. And I, I believe the third time the order is a thing, but uh, why is it a thing? And one of the things that we know uh, softens that is if you throw more pitches, right? So you have this breaking ball thing where, like, oh, breaking ball, breaking ball, breaking ball, throw more breaking balls, throw more breaking balls. We've seen that. We're, and I think it's going to go the same way that the reliever thing went, where at some point we're going to realize, oh, man. Too many. Too many <laughs> and uh, I think the light that's kind of going off is that a lot of times, you know, sabermetrics or, you know, finding an edge with the analytics goes a certain point and then the old but truisms are still true. So it's still true to have a pitcher with a lot of pitches. It's, it's still true that it's, that's good. You know, a pitcher with a lot of pitches turns the lineup order or over more often has a, a better third time through the order penalty. And so we were trying things like Spencer Strider and Spencer Strider is amazing. The dude has two of the best pitches, two of maybe the top 10 pitches in baseball, but he only has two pitches. And the entire conversation I had with him when the Braves were in town was, don't you want another pitch? And he's like, but why should I throw another pitch if it's crappier? I have two really good pitches. So that is the sort of center of the new debate, I think, is should we throw more pitches? Should we try to get through the order more often? Or should we just have basically five inning closers? 
I love how you put that. And that's one of the reasons why we love having you on the show, where you say there's the old truisms, and that's what, you know, dealing with the game that's been played for a long time by human beings. So you, you, you got a good idea on stuff that works, but you're always trying new stuff and to get an edge Better on new edge. stuff. Yeah. But it can go too far, and you get away from some of the truisms, and you get and you start to hurt yourself. And I'll ask just a really broad question about the Dodgers. They're very smart, but in crunch time, in small series, not a full season, in postseason, do the smart guys outsmart themselves? Uh, that's a tough one. I mean, uh, let's watch the Astros because the Astros are the Dodgers, but they're winning, right? <laughs> so there's not that much of a difference. Between they, the they, they. The would you say the Astros handle their pitching different than the Dodgers? I'm not sure, man. I mean, I guess they're a little bit more, okay, they're a little bit more conventional with Ryan Presley as the closer, right? They're a little bit more conventional with bullpen rolls. I'll give you that. But they are going to run, uh, you know, Luis Garcia and Jose Urquidy and some of these other guys out that were starters. They're going to run them out as relievers, and they're going to they're gonna mix and match, and they're going to probably pull some surprises out of the hat. And in terms of the way they're run, they're run very similar to the Dodgers, where they spend a lot of money on player development, a lot of money on data and tech, and they – try to develop players in-house while also buying free agents. I think that um, one of the differences is the Astros are closer to their peak in terms of the best, the, the top five guys. Jordan Alvarez, Alex Bregman, you know, those guys are closer to their peak. The Dodgers' top five guys, I think, are further from their peak. They're getting older. Their core is getting older. Now, the way the Dodgers survive that during the season and win so many games is they're awesome one through 30. And that's a little bit that should sound a little familiar in Oakland, right? The way that the uh, Oakland has won a lot of games during the regular season is just making sure they have no zeros. You know, when the A's have been good, they've had a good team from top to bottom and they've won a lot of games. And then maybe they get to the postseason, they get outstarred, right? They, they hit up they hit a Yankees team that has a bunch of stars or whatever. So I think that's a little bit of what's going on with the Dodgers is they're really good. They, they're done the Farhan thing where, you know, you know, the bottom five guys on the roster, they're churning the waiver and they're picking up guys and they're, and they're finding new Max Muncy's and they're like, Oh, Evan Phillips, we got him off of waivers. That's he's awesome. Now, you know, like they're doing all that work and they're making sure that they're really good one through 30. And that's why they keep winning games. But I just basically think that their one through five doesn't stack up as well as other teams anymore. Well, I thought about you when, when we did this the other day because you've really educated us on what certain teams are doing and what they're investing in. And I just had to laugh when I think about uh, Andrew Friedman's salary and from his salary, everybody down in the front office, as you've mentioned, the PhDs that they have on staff – which I'm sure we throw in the independent contractors. We throw in all the tech, the millions of dollars they're spending on salary and technology. And in the end, they got in a, in a do or die game against the Padres. Uh, the majority of the, the relievers they're throwing out there made either 720,000 or 700,000. So you spend yeah. millions of dollars on these mines to break down debt. But in the do or die game at the end, you're pitching guys making 700 grand. Yeah, I That's mean, crazy. I think they probably 
like you know, sometimes you get a little bit cute, right? I think okay, I can get you a little bit. The nerds get a little cute. So there's a little bit of a story of that with with LA, right? Like you could have just signed Kenley Jansen, right? You could have signed your guy that you've had forever and had a closer. Instead, you were like, no, Craig Kimbrell is going to be just as good. And he's only on a one year deal. And I don't know. I don't know. Whatever you thought you you came up with some you, you had your stuff number. <laughs> Ooh, your little stuff plus number. Right? <laughs> and, 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 and your little stuff plus number said that Craig Kimbrell, Kimbrell is better than uh, Kenley Jansen. So you said, all right, uh, we'll move some pieces around. We'll get Kimbrell in here. Well, Kimbrell, you know, has had a long battle with his command. And we just saw him lose it again. And don't you think that the Dodgers would have rather have had Kenley Jansen at the back end of their bullpen than Mm -hmm. Craig Kimbrell this year, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So sometimes you have to, I think any team that is, that thinks of themselves as smart has to sort of reevaluate and be like, are we being too smart here? What's like, what's the dumb play here? Like what's the quote unquote dumb play here? Maybe we should consider that one. Maybe we should just go with the Dodgers. Maybe we should just go get the very best. Maybe we should just sign Liam Hendricks. You know, maybe we should just sign the best reliever that's out there. That's, maybe we should do this. Like maybe we should just act like the elephant in the room. Like I've said, you know? So, um, you know, I think that to some extent the Yankees right now uh, are feeling it too. They, they, they thought they were really smart. Like, oh, we're going to, we want defense, right? So we're going to trade for Donaldson and Isaiah Kiner Falefa and uh, Ben Rortvet, right? <laughs> You're like, who? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and we're, and we're going to trade for these three guys because our defensive metrics say they're awesome. And we're going to have an awesome shortstop defender, an awesome third base defender, an awesome catcher defender. And, you know, that's going to be so much better than Gary Sanchez. You know what would have been better? Sign Carlos Correa. You know, just take your wallet out and sign him for 300 million. That would have been way better. Instead, now they're like, okay, we're going to use a rookie that has like 100 plate appearances in the playoffs, you know, at shortstop. But not in the playoffs. I mean, in all the base, like the guy who's who's basically has 50 plate appearances, we're going to stick him here in the playoffs. And Oswaldo Peraza. You know, Isaiah kind of is not really doing it for us. So here we go, Peraza. So they're they're debuting shortstops in the postseason when they could have gone out and 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 got one of the guys. So and they're going to face that same decision this next year, right? Because Trey Turner, Carlos Cray is going to be back out there. There's going to be four four you know really good shortstops out there. Are they going to say, Nah, we got Oswald Peraza, man? Well, and you know, you mentioned Correa. Correa is a guy that's the alpha male who fits great in what New York's trying to do, right? They want the guy. They want that guy that wants to be on the stage, on Broadway. He is that guy. He's been that guy in Houston. Would have been a perfect fit. That gets me back to my question. Are smart guys, I said the Dodgers, we can say it to the Yankees, are the smarty smartisans outsmarting themselves? Yeah, I mean, I think that you really do have to – consider the truths in in the accumulated baseball knowledge over the history of baseball right um and you know not everything that we thought before was right but not everything we thought before was wrong either so um i don't know i'm not gonna just say i I have a real problem just saying the dodgers are outsmarting themselves and you know they're doing something fundamentally wrong because i was raised in atlanta man and i was there from 86 to 94 
And I would just tell you, they did something really right. That was a dynasty to me, mm-hmm. you know, and winning a lot of games and getting a chance to play in the postseason. That's the best you can do. They and... got beat, though, by really good teams. Those Braves teams, from what I remember watching all those games on TBS, just like you growing up in hot Atlanta, they never went out like chumps. To me, the Dodgers kind of went out like chumps. And we've seen them go out like chumps to where Braves went out, they played really good teams, lost to good teams, multiple World Series. They're losing to historic. They're losing to teams that had Hall of Famers, great players. So, you know what? We play the game. Somebody wins, someone loses. The Braves were always there. That says a lot. And they didn't trick it up. Unfortunately, sometimes they just didn't have enough bullpen help. The Braves team was a dynasty or great. I just sometimes the Dodgers, you just wonder, like, when they've gone out at times, they've just gone out and you're just like, man, it's just something's not right. Hmm. You know, it's it's certainly possible. Um, but, uh, you know, you can also look at that team and be like, you know, Mookie, Trey, Freddie Freeman, you know, uh, maybe, maybe they were just hurt by, uh, Walker Bueller, you know, you know, missing out on him, you know, maybe he would have been that alpha, you know, starting pitcher that would have, you know, pitched them into a victory. Um, I don't know. I, I, I can't, I can't get with you a hundred percent. When we look at the NLCS, where where are you leaning right now? 1-1, going to be tipping this thing off here in just a little bit. Philly, San Diego. Yeah, I mean, I think that I will take the Padres' depth in pitching over the Phillies' depth in pitching right now because they're going to run out. The Padres are going to run out Joe Musgrove and um, – some combination of Mike Clevenger and some of their relievers they haven't quite uh, used a ton of yet. Uh, but I think uh, Mike Clevenger and Nick Martinez will be a big part of their plan. On the other side, the Phillies are going to run out Ranger Suarez and some combination of uh, Noah Syndergaard and Bailey Falter and some of their relievers. I just take the Padres on those. I don't, I don't fault any of those guys and think they're terrible, but uh, Joe Musgrove is better than Ranger Suarez. You know, that's just that's how I see it. I mean, uh, here's a guy who threw the first no hitter in Padres history, and uh, he's a really good breaking ball guy. Got tons of breaking balls, got good feel on them. And then uh, I do think Clevenger at this point, even though it's kind of funny, Clevenger and, and Syndergaard, it's a little bit like the washed bowl. Uh, the, the guys that used to be really good uh, that aren't anymore. They're going to try and get three innings uh, from each of those guys. Uh, and, uh, whoever gets the better three innings might win that game. Uh, but, uh, I do think it is interesting to think that like you have to, you, you need to have five, 10 starting pitchers to get, you need like seven, 10 starting pitchers to get through the regular season. You get to the postseason, You're like, do we have four, you know, do we have four? And in this case, uh, the Padres are a little bit closer to saying yes, I think. Well, we have any issue tonight with ears, hair, anything on jer- jersey, greasy, sticky? Or are we are we going to be a sticky-free game tonight? Uh, I'm sure somebody would be yelling about it. But one thing that I uh, that I have noticed is, uh, have you seen the guys having trouble uh, hearing the pitch comm? Yeah. Pitch comms are going yeah, out a lot lately. Yeah, they're going out, and they, they tried to – they developed this thing where they cut a slit in the a hat to drop, like, a little extra thing 
uh, to try and get closer to the ear. And uh, so that's been falling out. And that's been I mean, they're actually literally cutting, you know, holes in hats uh, in order to get the the pitch con closer to the ear. But we, we all knew this was going to happen, that here's the thing that we debuted this year to help catchers talk to pitchers. And now uh, we're in the postseason. We're super loud and everyone's yelling and they, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. So uh, I, I think almost more likely than another sticky stuff scenario is one where uh, crossed up catcher. Uh, pass the ball, pass the crossed up catcher who thought a, you know, a, a breaking ball was coming or thought a fastball was coming, gets a breaking ball uh, and a runner scores. So, you know, that's the sort of stuff that Pitchcom is sort of inviting back onto the field. Could there be sticky stuff on the Pitchcom? <laughs> Combine it. Yes, imagine that? Like, like you wouldn't even look there. You're like, you get, you, know, you take off your hat, and your glove, and the umpire, like, you're good. And the whole time, it's on the the plastic of the pitch com, huh? Huh? <laughs> I do. Th- I do wonder, you know, why certain pitchers um, get more scrutiny than others, and um, you know what I mean. Like, there are pitchers in these playoffs that have seen massive uh, ups and downs in their spin rates that are not getting the same scrutiny. So. Yeah, because you uh, ba- you backed Musgrove. You're like, eh, I'm not totally seeing it. You know, enforcement came and his spin rate stayed the same. And then there's guys out there right now whose spin rates went down 200 and then came back up 200. I'm sorry, that's just way more, uh, you know, way more of an indictment than whatever Musgrove is doing. All right, Paul Himikides from ESPN earlier today. I asked him, of course. Let me let me uh, start this by saying he is a Philly fan who hates New York. Uh, but he works in New York, ESPN. I said, are the Yankees done? He goes, are they done? They're going to get swept. I'll ask you, are the Yankees done? I think they'll win uh, the Garrett Cole start. So I don't think they'll get swept. Um, I think it's unfortunate they couldn't get Garrett Cole twice. Yeah. And even getting Luis Severino twice is going to be tough. So I, I think they're done. But uh, I don't think they'll get swept. Garrett Cole is going to get him a win. And as you saw, the Luis Severino game was close. So if they can get it to six or seven and get Luis Severino back on the mound, maybe maybe he gets a different result. So by the time we talk to you next, we could have this thing decided. If you have to bet on it, looks like you're going Astros. Where do you think it will be nationally? Um, I'm giving the Padres the next the pitching advantage in the next two games, and it's a split series. If they win both those games, they're up three one. So I guess it's going to be Padres Astros. That'll be, uh, that's I guess that's my call. That'll be a real David versus Goliath uh, in a lot of senses. I think. Well, and look out, Matt Stairs is throwing out the first pitch tonight for the Phillies. <laughs> we should check him for sticky stuff. <laughs> I, you know, the one thing is, I, I really enjoyed these playoffs so far. When you look at the format, you look at the way things are going. How's everybody in your baseball community viewing it? I like it. Um, I tried to, I tried to say something that didn't go over well. Um, I just to to explain it is I think that the playoffs are a tournament, and to me they are separate from the regular season. They're just very different. Yeah. All of these teams, any team that wins the World Series, will have lost a season series to somebody. The Padres, if they get to the to the World Series, they were nine and ten against the Rockies, and they got swept in a series by the Rockies. 
I would never say that the Rockies were a better team than the Padres this year. So I know I'm walking a fine line here, but I'm just saying I would love to find a way to reward teams and say, hey, good job. That was great. 162 is a grind. You won whatever many games. Maybe you could put a banner up for regular season champion or something like that. I know Americans don't care. I know that doesn't. But that happens in soccer that there are sort of regular season champions. And then there's like a tournament, a postseason tournament. Um, so I just wanted to get that out there that it's I'm not trying to devalue what's happening. I just it's a little bit frustrating. You let more teams into the playoffs. You devalue the regular season. When you devalue the regular season, you and I and people that work 162 games. It's a lot right? of pre and post game shows, you know, oh a lot of shows I got to do. You're going to devalue that. Then then I say shorten the season which I don't know if it'll ever happen because there's too much money riding on those games. But yeah. even 154 would give people more days off. Shorten the regular season if you're going to make... You know, the difference is big. When we ask all these teams to do these extra postseason games, we're now asking players to play 180 games or so, you know, when they didn't used to. Like, you used to play 154 and then maybe play an extra 10 in the postseason, you know what I mean? You used to go right to the World Series. So now we're asking to play 180 games. Oh, and plus the pre- spring training. So more like 200 games in the season. Yeah, and ask the, Bra- um, and ask the Braves to do it for 14 straight years. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> it really is crazy. By the way, who is disagreeing with you on what you just said? Oh, oh, oh they're just calling me a sissy and stuff because uh, because I want – What, on uh, Twitter? The trolls on Twitter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you don't no, come please. after my Eno Saris. We will back no. you if they want to get in an alley and fight. Ace Cast Live will be there for you. <laughs> no, what I hear that I mean, the whole idea what I was talking about sounded like a participation trophy, which people uh, <laughs> uh, people hate the idea. Cody's of that. in for that, by the way. By the way, who who would you, who would you rather have next year in your lineup, Cody Elias or Cody Bellinger? <laughs> I think it's a fair uh, question. If we're talking about the 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 fights with the trolls, I want Cody next to me. <laughs> but you you know you know the thing that 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 really and it, it fried me and I hated it and I'm glad we've corrected it for the most part. Think about this: we'd play one way for five months, then we'd let we'd allow September call up. So now we're playing the last month yeah. differently, and now we're yeah. getting into a postseason and tournament. So it's like we've never played the same way throughout the entire. I mean. The only way to really do the playoffs and make it like the regular season is to say, screw you, TV. We're playing. Fewer days off. We're playing seven straight days. I mean, actually, that's what I like about this format. I mean, the wild card is three in a row, you know? Yeah. And I don't know if it was just the rain or whatever, but there were fewer rest days. There was, there were, there were, there's been a lot fewer shenanigans this, this playoffs, right? In terms of like openers and bullpen days and, you know, that sort of stuff. They've had to they've had to rest guys. The Yankees had to rest Clay Holmes. They couldn't pitch him in certain games. So I, I like that. That's I, I would like I like there to be. I mean, ask my wife how much she loves when I have to work seventeen straight days or sixteen <laughs> straight days. We literally every series. Okay, first series is three games. 
three straight days. Second series is five games ago. What about the player? player man, players get on jets and fly around the country every single three days. I mean, they're used yeah, to this. Yeah, it's more of a TV schedule. It's a thing, TV deal. It's for them to move people to hotels. If we really yeah. try to want to play the postseason the right way, you play three straight games, five straight games, then seven straight games, and if it goes seven, obviously, in the right, AL and LCS in the World Series. You wouldn't have days off. We don't need days up. And then depth, and this would get back to what you want. You want the regular season teams who won all those games because of their depth. They would, It would be more fair to them because then they utilize their depth because when you're having these days off, the teams with the less depth doesn't hurt them because they get days off. 100%. It'd just be, it'd just be like, it just makes sense to have one game. You know, to have one game, to have baseball look the same. Do I look at it in April or I look at it in June or look at it in September or look at it in October? It's the same game. So uh, let's sell the athletic before we sell field work. Obviously, as I say all the time, if you love sports, you love baseball, football, basketball, you name it. You can it's at soccer, hockey, golf. You guys cover everything. The athletic second to none when it comes to journalism. What do you got going working on right now? I'm gonna do. I'm gonna write up some of these trends we're talking about uh, in the postseason and how they how they're different this year. I'm also uh, working on a long term piece, and uh, you know we've been talking about it here about uh, is there too much launch angle? And uh, uh, we've talked about it a little bit on this show before, and I'm I'm teasing that out. And I've got some new uh, really cool data from uh, from from baseball savant from MLBAM uh, that helps track the actual. Uh, bat path. So actually it's sort of raw data of, you know, the angles of the, of the bats. And uh, we've got some really cool uh, findings coming from that. So well, that's and, what we're doing at the athletic. And, and, and you see right now, I mean, just look at some of the balls, like the ball Bryce Harper hit to the opposite field down at Petco park. Well, when it's like 92, 93 degrees at Petco and there's no Marine layer, what to be uh, heard of ball travels. Now you're going back to Philly where it's going to be in the 50s. I mean, it's 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 we don't usually see too much West Coast to East Coast series where and usually it's not this hot. I mean, right now outside yeah. my highway, what what is this in Santa? It's 74 degrees right now outside my house. Yeah, yeah. I just looked at uh all balls like that go between 100 and 105 degree, uh, miles an hour and 20 and 25 degree angles. And I looked at them in the regular season, the postseason, just to see. One of my friends said, "Oh well, the ball's juice in the postseason. Everyone knows that." <laughs> so I was like, "I was like basically having like a, you know, like a group group chat argument, yeah. you know." And I was like, "You know, I do this for a living. Let me just refute that real quick." And so what I found was that postseason balls don't go as far, and that's generally because it's colder in October. So I do think it would be interesting to go to Citizens Bank, which plays more offensive, but will be much colder. So I, I would actually think some of these games are going to be lower scoring. Wait a minute. Are you saying that all baseballs are not juiced for the playoffs? That's what I'm saying. Isn't it amazing? This There's stuff? No, no statistical evidence of that. Now, however, there is statistical evidence that they use juice balls for the home run derby, but that's oh, – yeah. and nobody really cares about that. Play the man his out. Play him. Give him his, give him his out. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com.
On Halloween, Eno Saris will drink what? I've got a little uh, bottle of Parabolita. It's a small bottle of small stout, which I love. I love like eight to 10 ounce cans of stouts. And it's salted caramel. Ooh, wow. And just a little bit of it. Yeah, that's or like, else dad will be asleep on the couch. That's like next level. Yeah, that's Firestone Walker or, right there. Or, or you're just going to be like, like on a chair like this just handing out candy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> take whatever you want. Just take it. Just take it. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> All right, buddy. We'll talk to you next week. See the great guys. Eno Saris. Oh, God, that's funny. <sighs> I'm exhausted. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You ready to talk 1973? Oh, let's, let's bring him on. Well, let's, you know what? Let's talk college football first. Well, first of all, I don't even know if he was alive in 1973. <laughs> He's too young. Oh, I was alive. Dave, no, no, Feldy, I remember it. You were, you were alive. Yeah, you're like, you're like 32 years old. What do you mean, 1973? You remember? Oh, wouldn't that be nice? No, I was six, and I remember it. Uh, I have very strong memories of the '73 World Series and '73 playoffs. Yeah, you know, out of all the people that we bring on, like these, these years of greatness. When you talk about the the A's of the 70s and then what you would be at the age when the A's are 88, 89, 90, like you're at like the you got like the perfect ages. You're like a little kid. Your team's winning the World Series. Your team's winning the World Series every year as a little kid. I mean, you, when you the when you were born and how the A's did and even like even as you're a kid growing up, you get Ricky Henderson, you get Billy Ball. It was like for the A's and you, it's like a perfect marriage. Well, it is. I mean, the fact that my my family moved to uh, Walnut Creek uh, in 1968 when I was six months old, the month before the A's played their first game at the Oakland Coliseum as the Oakland A's, and it was the A's fan. So here he was yelling at Connie Mack, and now he moves and he gets transferred. He moves to California, and he's he's got the A's, and the A's are with him again. And then growing up, uh, the formative years with with the early '70s teams, and then really getting to know baseball, and that was Billy Martin and Billy Ball. And then when you could really afford to enjoy it, was the Conseco McGuire late '80s team. So it's it was the timing was 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 wonderful for me. And totally got me into baseball because of, of what the A's were and, and what they could be. By the way, uh, speaking of Walnut Creek, this just in. We're going to have a World Series party at the Chicken Pie Shop in Walnut Creek next Friday, game one. We're going to throw a party, watch party. What are you doing on that Friday? Well, hopefully I'm getting an invitation so I can drive on over and join you all because that would be fantastic. That's right. Bring people, bring friends. Let's pack the house. Let's watch game one. Let's talk A's. We're going to watch you on the program. So I'm booking you now. Cody doesn't have to book you. We want you on the show in Walnut Creek. We'll start at 1 o'clock. It's going to be a four-hour show. First pitch, We're trying. have we figured out first pitch yet? It still says TBD, but I'm assuming with – Felt here in TV. I'm assuming it's going to be 5, 5 p.m. 
first pitch Pacific time, so eight, eight on the East Coast. So it's not going to be at like one. Yeah, we're not. You're telling me I'm playing the World Series game at one oh seven. So does that sound right? Five no, five been, p.m. That sounds about right, right? I five oh seven. I think it's about five o'clock usually for game one. That's what they try because they can do all their pregame show from four thirty to five, and yeah. they're a national anthem singer in their first pitch, and it's you know it's either going to be in Houston or in New York. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see where that game one of the World Series is going to be. I think your gut says it's going to be in Houston. I think it's going to be in Houston. I think Houston's the best team, and we've, we've talked about that for a few months because they're the most complete team, right? And we've seen it with the way their bullpen is, especially in this, in this postseason. Their bullpen is, is almost unhittable. And one of their best arms in the regular season, Ryan Stanek, he can't even get on the mound because the other guys are better. So Stanek's waiting in the wings, ready to go, but everybody else is, is kind of moved up a spot. And then now oh, Brian Abreu last night, I mean, just nasty, nasty. And that's why, to me, going into the postseason, their bullpen was settled, their closer situation settled. Ryan Presley's got the ninth, or in some cases the 18th. Uh, it's settled. <laughs> Who's going to pitch for them in the late innings? So uh, that's why I think Houston's just the most complete team. How about that at bat last night against Stanton where he, get, he gets down 3-0 and then he comes back and gets the 3-1 fastball by him. And then the other, it's just like, oh, Maldonado calls a great game, knows his pitching staff. By the way, Ryan Stanick, friend of the program, uh, he can't make it on the field for the Astros. Sounds like an Oakland A already. We'll take him next year. <laughs> Bring him on board. You mentioned that. That at batting at Stanton, base open, right? This was after the judge fly ball. And I went back and I watched that again today. It was a fly ball to right. It wasn't no guaranteed homer. I don't no. know why all this whining is going on. Stop it. Oh, yeah. Right. So, I, and even if you go back and watch Boone's press conference, and he's kind of saying it with a smile on his face. Oh, the roof's open. They're killing us. He was even kind of joking about it. But, you know, New York press and, and national media, they're going to jump all over those words. But but Abreu's at bat to stand. He gets falls behind 3-0 with the base open. Rizzo's up next. You're thinking, okay, he's just going to put him on. He gets the call on the 3-0 pitch. A sinker probably was out of the strike zone. But then, like you said, 3-1 pitch. Here you go. Here's 99 right down the middle. And blew it by him. And then he paints on the corner. Uh, just so impressive. Will you shed, getting over to the uh, NLCS, will you shed a tear tonight uh, before the game when Matt Stairs throws out the first pitch as a former Man, A? I love Matt Stairs. I, I love Matt Stairs. And, he, again, he was – he joined the A's when they were down in 96. Uh, things, you know, this was the whole new era of the A's, starting with the, the Art Howe era in the 96, 97. And he's putting up big numbers, and he would hit big home runs. And, and just, he was Matt Stairs. He was the ep he said what the A's were, right? They were picking guys up the scrap heap. This is a guy who was with the Red Sox and the Expos, but he couldn't find a job. And the A's give it to him, and he takes off with it. And now you got Matt Stairs, you got Geronimo Baroa, and just, just, that's what the Oakland A's were all about. And Sears has this great career. the all-time pinch hit home run leader. Always hitting the big bombs. Basically cost the Dodgers twice late in the 2000s because they were afraid of Matt Stairs, right? Hitting home runs. Just the, the thought of Matt hitting home runs shedding shivers down Dodger, Dodger fans' back. I love Matt Stairs. It's going to be wonderful to see him out there. A career 832 OPS, which is outstanding. 265 career dingers. And oh yeah, hit 262. He didn't hit a buck 50. He didn't hit 210. 262. That is respectable. 
No, and the way he swung the bat, he went up there looking to do damage. And the other thing that he had, it was one of those strange things. But foreign-born, big-name pitchers, Hideki Arabu, El Duque, Orlando Hernandez, Hideo Nomo, he got them all. It was just one of those strange things where foreign-born pitchers who had these, you know, these great histories would come in and <laughs> stairs would just take them deep. Take them deep. Wait, go yard on them. Isn't he Canadian? Yeah, he's Canadian. It was, yeah, it, it, was just, it was international on international crime. It hundred percent was. And he just <laughs> for whatever reason, boom, he'd go bridge. All right, so Houston will be hosting who in the World Series? Yeah, I don't know. Those two teams are so similar. The way the Padres pulled out that game against the Phillies in Game Two, being down four nothing, uh, you just think, nah, this is going to happen. Uh, Aaron Nola's too good. And they win the game with a big inning, just like they won the game against the Dodgers with a big inning. So I don't know what's going to happen. This is must-see TV to watch those two teams go at it. They're so similar. Uh, and the fan bases are just jacked. I mean, Citizens Bank Park is going to be just ringing Like tonight. a club tonight. Uh, I, yeah, it's just going to be – you're going to be feeling the vibrations when you're watching this game because those fans are so into it. And it's, it's going to be a battle. I think this series is going seven games, and I don't know who's winning. All right, let's get back to the uh, 1973 team. But you see there on your screen, if you can't, uh, if you're not watching us on Twitter or YouTube and you're listening on AceCast, we're having a World Series party, Chicken Pie Shop, Walnut Creek, 1251 Arroyo Way. Be there on Friday. We will have more details uh, coming up. We're just kind of breaking this today. So the Chicken Pie Shop on Friday, uh, Last Dive Bar is going to be there. Bip Roberts is going to be there. You're going to be there. We're going to have prizes to give away. It's going to be a great game one watch party, and it's just going to be hanging out, talking A's baseball, and watching the World Series. You know the thing that we just talked to Raleigh Fingers about, and it never gets brought up enough, and you know it's the old iron sharpens iron, is that the A's, whether it was Detroit or Baltimore, the these – these ALCSs to get into the World Series were no day at the beach, especially when they took on Baltimore, when Baltimore's got their pitching in their Hall of Famers. Yeah, this is a Baltimore team that had just gone to three straight World Series in 69, 70, and 71, right? Missed out in 72, but now they're back winning the AL East in 73, and then they'll win it again in 74. They tested the A's. Uh, the pitching, you know, the Palmers and the Cuellars, they, they tested the A's every which way. And you think about it, they took the A's to five games in 73. Catfish had to pitch game five. And he pitched a shutout. I mean, he's Catfish Hunter. He's a Hall of Famer. That's what he does. But it made him unavailable for the first two games of the World Series. That's putting the A's at a disadvantage. Except for the Mets, the 82-win Mets. 82 wins. They took the Reds to five games in the NLCS. That took Tom Seaver out of game one of the World Series. So here you got the two stud pitchers. They're both not going to go until game three. And that kind of, again, it, even the playing field, as far as the A's not having catfish for game one, the Mets did not have Tom Seaver for game one. With a 42-year-old Willie Mays. I mean, it's hard to be like, I remember when we were airing those games during COVID. I mean, because obviously I was one years old. I don't remember, right? I didn't watch it. And then it's like Yogi Bear is the manager, and like Willie Mays is hitting third at 42 years old, and he's not, he's not the same Willie Mays. You start looking at that, okay, Rusty Staub, I I know him. I mean, the rest of the team, you're like, who are these guys, and how the hell did they make the World Series? 
Yeah, kind of a magical year for them. Um, Rusty Staub was terrific. Got hurt in those playoffs. Hurt his shoulder. Couldn't throw the ball. And that would come out to really haunt the Mets in Game 7. Uh, but it put him on the bench and put Willie in center field to start that series. You have Felix Mion playing second base. And you watch the highlights and you see where he chokes up. I mean, he's choking way up on the bat. And there was a guy, you know, back then in the 70s, there was one or two guys on every team who did that. Now there's basically Jeff McNeil for the Mets is the only guy you actually see choke up in today's game. But Felix Mion, had Bud Harrelson in shortstop. Milner, who would end up going to be part of the hit parade with the Pirates later in his career. Um, but, yeah, not a, you know, Wayne Garrett, not a star-studded Met team that just, with that pitching, with Seaver and Matlack and, and Kuzman, Tug McGraw in the bullpen, and Yogi, they had found a way. Again, they only won 82 games in the regular season, beating out the Cardinals to, to, to win the NL East. But they found a way in the NLCS to beat the Reds. This was still the big red machine. We, you can, you know, every red team from basically 70 through 76 was the same. This is the same Reds team. They were able to beat them. Took the A's to seven. Raleigh Fingers, we have made the case, and people will call us homers, but we have made the case that he's the greatest reliever of all time. You look at the volume, you look at the numbers, you look at the amount of high leverage innings he pitched in, immediately they're going to say your jackasses, Mariano Rivera is by far the greatest of all time. Are we being honks or are we making a legitimate case? No, it's a legitimate case because the way relievers were used now in the 70s, much different than they're used today or even Rivera's time or Dennis Eckersley's time. And I think look at Game 7 of the 73 World Series for a great example. Ken Holtzman pitched fantastic. And this is a guy who got knocked out in Game 4 in the first inning. Got knocked out in the first inning of a World Series game. Comes back in Game 7, uh, hits a big double to start the A's four-run rally. Um, second double of the series. A guy who hadn't had it at bat all year because that was the first year of the DH. Still wearing his helmet backwards, which is the key to watch when you watch a Ken Holtzman at bat. His ear flap is not protecting his left ear, the one facing the pitcher. It's protecting his right ear. It's not doing anything. Makes no sense. He has two doubles wearing the bad air flap, and he hit a home run in 74 with the bad air flap. Anyway. Uh, but you think Raleigh, so Ken Holtzman's dealing. He's got a 5-1 lead. Uh, sixth inning. One out, Raleigh Fingers is coming into the game in the sixth inning. He's your closer, and that's what they hoped that he was going to do. And he pitches three and a third in game seven. And he only gets taken out in the ninth because Gene Tennis makes an error at first base. Lefty hitter's coming up, and they want to put Daryl Nose in to get the lefty-lefty. Daryl Nose pitched in all seven games of the World Series. First pitcher to ever do that in a seven-game series. Um, but three and a third. And that was not uncommon. And if you look back at the A's, especially in the postseason, seeing Raleigh Fingers come in early in games and pitch long. He does it in 74, right? He comes in and pitches, and Catfish Hunter comes in and saves him. Um, it was just the way he was used, and he was so effective for these long outings. And you'll never, you don't even see middle relievers go three and a third anymore, right? To see a, a middle reliever go two innings is a big deal. This is a closer going three and a third. It's amazing. It's absolutely. I mean, his numbers are, are just they're just the, the volume that he gave you. Uh, it's he's special and, and one of a kind, really. I don't know if we'll ever see. And there were guys. I mean, Goose Gossage gave you multiple innings. I mean, there were there were relievers back then uh, that, that did that. But no one was better 
than Raleigh Fingers. When you look back out of the three teams, I know Reggie didn't play in the 72 series because he got hurt scoring against the Tigers. But let's just say Reggie is on 72's team, World Series team. Uh, when you look at the three, can they're, they're so similar because pretty much the same players for the majority of it. Can you really say one was better than the other? Can you say, well, that one was the best? Yeah, I think you can say 74 was the best. And 74 is because they were now the most complete team. In 72, right, you didn't have Reggie in the World Series. And you still kind of had some question marks in the outfield, right? It wasn't set, and that's why they went out and traded for Billy North to be their center fielder. Well, Billy North sprained his ankle in late September of 73. He was not available in the postseason. Reggie played center field. It was Reggie. Vic Davalio was playing out there, uh, depending on lefty-right. Jesus Alou. I mean, they're, they're basically platooning an outfield. 74, it's a complete team. Everybody's healthy, right? And they were just unstoppable. They were so good that year. Rudy, North, Reggie, Bando, Campy. Dick Green, Gene Tennis, Ray Fossey. And then you have your starters in Hunter, Holtzman, Blue, Odom, Raleigh in the bullpen. They used five pitchers the entire postseason in 74. Five. And, and, and you go back to the whole season of 74, they, threw, they used nine, they used 11 pitchers total, but nine pitchers through all but, what, six and a third innings, I think it was. Nine pitchers basically the entire season. That was the most complete team and probably the best of the three. Sounds like one playoff game today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one to get nine pitchers to use get through one game. It's just, you talk about these teams that come up together. I know Reggie has talked about it at these reunions, and, and Rudy talks about it. They came up together, and they learned how to play together, and then Dick Williams takes over and really teaches them how to be winners, right? They needed that and the discipline that Dick Williams taught him how to win games. And that was overshadowing all of 1973 World Series was Dick Williams' unhappiness with being the A's manager. Not with the players, but with Charlie Finley. He'd finally had enough of Charlie Finley. And then here's the A's winning the World Series, and the headline is Dick Williams resigns. <laughs> he resigns right after they win the World Series. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Only in Oakland. By the way, Charlie Finley, the greatest owner slash executive to build a championship team and do it while living in a completely different part of the country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, by far. Doing it all in Chicago and doing, by phone. And doing it all by a phone that has a cord. Yes, by a cord. And he's got his people on the phone, eventually Hammer. Used to give him play-by-play -play over the phone. MC Hammer would, would do it. And this Here's, I don't know if I ever told you the story. So MC Hammer used to do the the play-by-play -play to Reggie, yeah. to, to Charlie Finley. And he would spice up his commentary. It's, it's Hammer, right? He's going to be colorful. Hammer time. So he's given the yeah, he's given the play-by-play, -play and he's giving you the whole thing. So one day, uh, Hammer's not available to do this. And Jack McKeon, the, the, at this point he's a former manager, but he's going to be a future manager again. But Jack McKeon gets assigned to, hey, you need to be on the phone with Charlie and tell him what's going on. So Jack McKeon's on there just going, you know, ball, strike, and Charlie's losing his mind. No, no, you got to do it like Hammer. You got to give me some color. Do it like Hammer. Jack McKeon's like, what am I doing here? Now, was it a rotary phone? Could you push button? <laughs> like, like what? I mean, people don't realize 
the genius of Charlie Finley running a team in Chicago, Illinois, and the team was in Oakland. And he doesn't get to watch them, and he's call, it's all done by a phone with a cord. Yeah, and it's basically a red direct dial phone. A bat right? phone? And it's got, it basically, he picks it up, it rings in Oakland, it's a direct line. And that's how, that's how we communicated. He had a line to the press box. He also had a line to the dugout. And there's always been conflicting stories of how much he actually called the dugout. He called the dugout. When he used to sit, you know, you've seen the World Series films, and you've seen him sitting yeah. in the first row behind the dugout. With He's got pennant. a phone right there. With his pennant. There's yeah. a phone he could just pick up. Oh, my God. By the way, who you got this weekend? I have uh, Colorado at Oregon State. Colorado. Well, hey, they Colorado. beat they beat your rocks your buddy Roxy Bernstein's Cal Bears. Roxy's calling that game. Roxy's calling the game. Roxy's calling the game. He's when, still upset. He still doesn't think that was a touchdown in overtime by the Colorado receiver. Got called a touchdown. It looked like he bobbled the ball. Uh, Roxy, maybe you should have more problem with your two Cal receivers who dropped certain touchdowns by just not holding on to the ball. With the great Lincoln Kennedy. The great Lincoln Kennedy. The charismatic Lincoln Kennedy. College Football Hall of Famer Lincoln Kennedy. Yeah, and probably should be a NFL Hall of Famer as well. It's tough for offensive linemen to get into the NFL Hall of Fame, but uh, Lincoln was one hell of a player. Uh, probably the best right tackle in Raiders history. Yeah, and, yeah by and far. Literally and to hear him tell the stories of the Tuck game, unbelievable. And literally the largest man in the world. So, you know what we have to do when we put them on camera, right? Because Roxy is, is, is not a large gentleman. Uh, and Lincoln is a humongous human being. Huge. So we actually have to put Roxy on an apple box. It's rocks on a box. Yeah, well, You've heard I, of Elf on a Shelf? It's rocks on a box. Well, in the Raiders' plane, he was always – it was Musburger behind me, Lincoln Kennedy in front of me. So when Lincoln sits back on the seat – you know those airplane seats would just give, so I would have this seat oh, no. in front of me the whole time. And do, you, do you think I'm gonna like? Hey, can you can I complain about this guy? Can you move him? Yeah, Lincoln always sat in front oh. of me on the plane, so I yeah I got to see that head and neck for hours at a time. You know how I I, I know how much Lincoln is respected around the game of football. We do coaches calls and coaches meetings right before the game so we talk to the head coach and the coordinators and now we do them by zoom when we especially with the visiting team we do by zoom so we'll be on the coaches will be on and then link will come into the room and the coaches just light up when they see him they have such respect for him as a football player and as a human being they just love talking to him and that's it that shows you just how lincoln is thought of around the game of football yeah, I mean, on the plane, he's retired. He's still the biggest guy on the plane. And, like, all the current players are always like, Mr. Kennedy, Mr. Kennedy, because yeah, he's the he's the biggest, baddest dude on the plane, even though he's uh, 50 years old. All right, so Pac-12 Network, Oregon State, Colorado. Yeah, Oregon State, Colorado, that's tomorrow night. Uh, you know what? If you haven't seen a game in Oregon State this year, it's a lot of fun because – much like the A's in 1996, the Beavers are playing in a stadium that's going through reconstruction. So there's only half a stadium where fans are sitting. Uh, it's across the way. So one half of the stadium is completely empty as the construction is going on. So everybody's packed into one side 
and that place is jumping. And the, the students are really into Beaver football right now. Uh, Jonathan Smith, their head coach, former Beaver quarterback in the early 2000s, beat Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. These people are buying in, and they're having a great time. So to watch on TV, you think, ah, why am I watching an Oregon State game? It's so cool because that place, again, much like Philadelphia tonight, it's vibrating in that stadium because all these people are packed into one side. Well, I'll tell you what. I got my main TV. I got two iPads. I always have you guys and my respect and love for Roxy and Link. You will be on one of the iPads tomorrow night. Next Friday. See, I appreciate that. Walnut Creek, we need you in in the restaurant on the show on Friday. 100%. That's a home game for me. You know I'm going to be there. We'll see you on Friday. Have a good broadcast tomorrow. All right. Thanks, fellas. The great David Feldman right here on A's Cast Live. In this box right here, this box right here, I have treats from our wonderful sponsor and our sponsor, Last Dive Bar, has sent – I don't even know what we have. Oh, look at that. Huh? Now we have a place for you to put all your drinks so you don't get it all over our, our – uh, all over our uh, – see, this is the stuff you can get on Last Dive Bar. So now you can't get it all over – I don't want to – I was going to call this a tarp. What do we call this? Tablecloth. Our tablecloth. Look at that. Well, I keep my drinks on the ground, but I huh? get what you're saying. Yeah. Here, I can – well, well, Yeah, you're really good at selling the product. You know that? All right. You can get these as the Steven Vogt collection. I like the mask one. It's just like the shirt. I mean, this is essentially the shirt on the coasters. My wife, you know what? I'm going to take these. My wife complains. You know what? There's one for each of us. I can actually have new coasters at home. No, you're not taking them. We're going to put them. We got to put them. We, we'll get them out on the. We got to get. Now we have a new. If you haven't noticed, we got a new camera going today. We, we're we getting new technology. Where else can we put this? You figure out a place to put this. I can't wait to see what we got. What else we got? What else we got? What else we got? I think they're. I'm gonna assume I'm gonna guess mugs. Well, we broke our favorite last time. Oh, there's dive. no there's no we. I wasn't here. You were talking to me and distracting me. It's your <laughs> fault. It's never my fault. It can't be my fault. All right, Draymond. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> yeah, hey, Warrior fans, that was him, not me. I, I'm I'm all about Draymond and his professionalism. Ah, oh, it's back. My favorite mug. You had a one in four chance. You had a twenty five percent chance of opening that mug. Oh, it's my look how good that that this mug stands out on TV. It looks good on our and the camp. It looks so good when I did the hits on NBC during the season. You know what's so nice is I have this remote. I can just yeah, zoom in on that baby. Zoom in on that. Look at that. And then next to the Dick Callahan mug, also made by Last Dive Bar. Look at this. Look, look at that. Look at this. Is like we call this product placement. Product placement. <laughs> Put on the beer stein. Can you get on the beer stein? Look at that. Look at the new toys we got. Got that. Oh, whoops. No, not why. Now it's the auto framing. Now we're all. I hit the wrong button. That's a user error on my part. All righty. You get beer steins. You get everything at Last Dive Bar. If you're an Ace fan and you don't go to Last Dive Bar, I. You should do all your Christmas shopping there. There we go. There's the beer stein. I hit. There we go. Now it's on manual. Oh, framework. look, we got the Chris Davis bobbleheads back out. Oh, Sean Maniah's got brought uh, out. Uh, where's the Maniah? He, I mean, he's he's in this. We uh, felt we we needed some grieving time. There you go. 
we needed some grieving time. It, but now the season's over. We might, you know, we still got medals. No, and- no one's got a chance to see it because it's always blocked. This is the uh, Safeco Field uh, snow globe we have right there that has a retractable roof on it. So, I mean, this is great. Nolan Ryan in the background. Nolan's right here. Oh, how about the Stephen Vote mug? Oh, how good is that? It's like Christmas here at A's Cast Live. There's Raleigh. Raleigh was on the show an hour, a little over an hour ra- ago. Ra- Raleigh and Ricky, we got to get we got to get the uh, the Hall of Famers. They can't leave the set. We got to get Reggie. I got Catfish. Where the hell did the Catfish go? We got to get all the guys that have their jerseys retired to be on our desk. Now, here's the question. This is a legit question to A's fans. I have this Catfish Hunter action doll it's a cooperstown collection it's in the box though i almost feel like taking it out of the box would be horrible probably yeah it's collectible it's a collectible right i mean look you can get babe ruth willie mays cal ripkin mike schmidt maybe we like put it on the desk somewhere don't forget your finley's heroes oh i got the album see i got so much stuff i got about that's why we needed this new camera you're also forgetting the most important bobblehead on the desk. Well, the greatness. Yeah, you didn't. Yeah, you didn't. Bill Walsh. Here, look. If everyone can't see here, hold Bill. There's Bill. San Jose State, Bill Walsh. San Jose State. Bill Walsh graduated from San Jose State, played football at San Jose State. Don't you ever forget it. One of the great San Jose State Spartans of all time. All right. Well, we got another coffee mug. This has got, like, Hawaiian print on it. Oh, nice. Hawaiian print last dive bar coffee mug. Uh, here, hold on. Can you see it? Nice. One more to go as we're ending the show. Oh, wait, we, we got to focus on Raul, uh, Campy and, and Ray. There's Ray. There's Ray. Don't and forget that you, you might not be able to see it, but Ray did personally sign that bobblehead box. Yes, that is a signed Ray Fox. I will never, ever take that box, never take that bobblehead out. The greatness of Ray Fossey. He got that for me. There weren't any left. He went and got one because he's Ray Fossey. Uh, this is one more Stephen Vote. Coffee. Oh, Great on MLB Network also. Would you like one? I don't drink coffee, but sure. There you go. My wife does. Will she drink it? Yeah. Will she use it? Yeah. She drinks coffee. Yeah, but will she use the Stephen Vote mug? Yeah. Does she believe in Stephen Vogt? She does. I'll trade you the mug for one of the coasters. I already have one of the mugs. I just want the coaster. I'm a big coaster guy at home. Okay. I'm trying to sell. I'm trying to sell product. See the difference <laughs> between me? I'm trying to sell product, get you to go to Last Dive Bar and get product. He wants to take stuff home to use. I'm trying to sell product for our sponsor. By the way, if you if you don't know what we're talking about, um, Last Dive Bar banners running down below tells you what everything you can get. Ray Fossey line, T-shirts, sweatshirts, Ray Fos- lights have taken full effect. Can correction. Hopefully, we get an Ace Cast line going soon. Lastdivebar.com. We're, we're we're hoping to get an Ace Cast uh, front of the program shirt made out. There's only a select few of us that have that shirt that love it. We have it. And this is uh, the proceeds are going to go to Stephen Vote's charity. Correct, and then everything else goes to the uh, Ace Community Fund. So all the money goes back into. Yes, you go to Last Dive Bar and spend money, it all goes to the A's Community Fund or people affiliated with the A's Community Fund. They're not taking the cash and pocketing it. It all goes to good causes to help people in Oakland, 
in the East Bay, everybody affiliated with the A's and the A's Community Fund, it's about helping people who need help right now, and especially in a time where people can't afford to live, people can't afford to eat, people can't afford a lot of things. The A's Community Fund's helping a lot of people, and the last dive bar is doing that. I just put Brian's comment up there from YouTube. We made the whole vote collection and the proceeds benefit his charity. There you go. There you go. What time is uh, first pitch tonight? Uh, 4.37, I think. I think I have a – let me double check. I think it's 4.37 our time. It is – You want some nuggy nugs on the way out before this – 4.37 on FS1. Suarez versus Musgrove. You want some nuggy nugs before we get out of here? Sure. Game three winner in the NLCS – Game three winner – actually, this is both ALCS and NLCS. Game three winner has gone on to win the series 67 of 97 times. You know what that percentage is? Give me the, give me the numbers again. 67 of 97. That would be around like 60 to 70%. 69%. Mm-hmm. Philly has won 18 of 27 postseason games all time at Citizen Bank Park because you remember back in the day they had a good team. Chase Utley, Ryan Howard, and the boys. This is their first ALC, or NLCS game since 2010? They're claiming we're going from 92 degrees San Diego to 58 degrees Philadelphia. It's going to be a little chilly. Yeah. Well, that's welcome to Pennsylvania in October. Joe Musgrove is 2-0 with a 0.77 ERA and six starts dating back to September 17th. Suarez, Ranger Suarez... Only other appearance in the postseason, we got roughed up by the Braves and had a career-high five walks, three and a third, and he got pulled. Manny Machado, is he having a good playoffs? I uh, mean the guy that wasn't a gold glove guy? Yeah, he is. Hitting 306, three dingers, six RBIs this playoffs. By the way, the trade acquisitions for the Padres, Drury with a home run, three RBIs, Bell with a home run, two RBIs, Soto with a double and an RBI, and Hayter. Struck out the side. By the way, Hader, eight consecutive strikeouts going back to game three of the NLDS. I know everyone told me he was done. He was finished. He, he wasn't a good pitcher You know anymore. who said he wasn't done? Twitter. Bob Melvin. Yeah, Bob would know. I mean, he, he's around the guy every day. And a guy that you said wouldn't even be around. You said he had a broken thumb and he was done. You said Bryce Harper, stick <laughs> a fork in him. We'll see it spring training. And he said, not so fast, my friend. Thank you, Lee Corso. To quote the great number two pencil, Lee Corso. Bryce Harper looks to become the first player to have an extra base hit in eight consecutive postseason games. He's unbelievable. In the same postseason. His, uh, his... I did it, but it was in back-to-back postseasons. Who am I? Extra, how many extra base hits was it? Eight. Eight consecutive games, I had an extra base hit. It was in back-to-back postseasons, 97 98. Oh, 97, 98. Who am I? Bernie Williams. No. Was it a Yankee? Who else could it be? 97, 98. The only team I can think of other team would be a Brave. I never said he wasn't a Yankee. Jeter? Who am I? Paul O'Neill. Paulie O'Neill. Wow, that was a great guess. What, on the fourth try? Third. It's okay. Harper is looking to do that, be the only guy in the same postseason. Harper, by the way, 
hitting 464, four dingers, four doubles, seven RBIs in his last seven games. Is that a guy coming to play? Uh, he's been great for the in the postseason. This has been great for the Phillies overall. Do you want to play another Who Am I? Sure, real quick. Harper is looking to become the first Phillies player with an eight-game playoff hit streak since Ryan Howard in 2009. The franchise record is a 10-gamer set back in 1993. Who am I? 1993, everybody has a mullet. Oh, God. Everybody had a mullet on the 93 Phillies. It was. I want to say it was their center fielder. Who I, I can't am rem- I? I can't remember a lot of guys on that team. You don't remember the '93 Phillies? I just remember a lot of their pitchers. Dutch Dalton. I was thinking of that's the first guy I was thinking. Of, but I was thinking of a lot. John Cruck. Cruck. Oh, Cruck. Crucky. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I can't think. Of, those are the only two guys I can think of. Lenny Dykstra. You don't remember Lenny Dykstra? Yeah, but I. Yes, I remember. I mean, I remember. I know who Dykstra is, but I didn't really pay attention to the '93 Phillies. I can name you '93 Blue Jays. Well, I didn't really care about the Phillies. They played in your division, Mr. Pirate fan. Uh, the Pirates are the Pirates are starting to stink then. Game three, who's your winner? Oh, Padres. Can't pick Philadelphia. It's like I, it's everything in my core. I'm going Philly. Yeah. Remember, I'm the only person on this show that picked Bob Melvin to make a pass the Dodgers. All right. I'm going Philly. But you grew up in San Diego. I don't care. I'm going Philly. <laughs> Wait. I've been picking the Phillies all year long. Shall we end the show with... This is embarrassing. Let's do this. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Philly going down to yellow and brown. That's what's in. Padres on the loose. Let's go, go goose. That's what's in. Bryce gonna lose and Manny's gonna cruise. That's what's in. Give Philly no slack and send them back. That's what's in. So back, Philly, back. back. Have you heard the full thing? Philly, back. Back, Philly, back. Back, Philly, back. The fact that. <laughs> People on this more on KUSI on their morning news thought this was good, and we're going to put that on the air. Uh, like they yeah. thought it was good. That's like where I got they, it from. Like they were laughing, and they were like, and and then this thing went viral. That went viral, and everybody just made fun of it like you wouldn't believe. Oh, it was all over Twitter, and it was like how how the Phillies going to recover from this? It was it was pretty good. Let me get this read in real quick. Secure your seats for our 1973 team reunion celebration on Sunday. April 16th with our 73 flash sale presented by Budweiser. From October 21st today to the 25th, which is Tuesday, tickets will be available at 1973 regular season prices for $5.50. Don't miss out. Visit athletics.com slash flash sale. That's athletics.com slash flash sale. That's a lot to say at the end. $5.50. Yep. That's what we're doing. $5.50. That I mean, you want to talk about the biggest no-brainer? That's incredible. When did wait? It's open till when? It's open from today till Tuesday, I think at noon. We got to pump this again on Monday. Yeah, their spots going to be running if on. You're A's not pass. hammering this for God's sakes. Yeah, the team reunion in April 16th uh, against the Mets. 
believe it's where we're playing the the Mets. And don't forget, next Friday, Chicken Pie Shop, Walnut Creek. Uh, what did we say the address was? Uh, 1251 Arroyo Way, Walnut Creek. We will be there from 1 to 5 doing A's Cast Live up to first pitch. We're having a World Series watch party, game one. We're going to have a lot of stuff to give away, a lot of stuff. We'll see everybody uh, back on Monday. We'll be on from 1 to 4. Who's on? So far, Roxy is going to be back. Franny told me, yes, he would do it, and I told him the time, and, well, he ghosted me. That's what's in? Yeah, that's what's in, yeah. That's what's in. (laughs) Enjoy the NLCS. Enjoy the weekend. We'll see everybody on Monday. Thank you for listening and watching A's Cast Live. Secure your seats for our 1973 team reunion celebration on Sunday, April 16th with our 73 flash sale presented by Budweiser. The Oakland A's have won their second consecutive World Series championship. From October 21st to the 25th, tickets will be available at 1973 regular season prices for $5.50. Don't miss out. Visit athletics.com slash flash sale today. That's athletics.com slash flash sale. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than the Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.